Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to another episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I've got Chow Min Wu. How's it going? Adam Vitali. Hello. And Josh Torres. An eventful weekend. It is an eventful weekend. Um, no James today. He is over at uh, the Final Fantasy XIV Fan Fest in Las Vegas. He's been tweeting pretty regularly from his Twitter account. Uh, though he has posted a few things onto the site while he is away. So he's, once again, our boots on the ground uh, for the announcement there, which we'll talk about coming up. Uh, we're recording this uh, July 29th, the last week before August. Of course, the big upcoming release that's looming is... Uh, the long-awaited Baldur's Gate 3, and just, you know, as we've mentioned, a lot of other stuff coming out in August and September and beyond. And a lot of us are looking forward to Armored Core, Starfield, and a few other things passed in October and November. In terms of, we were actually discussing before hitting record button here, uh, like releases for this week, what we've been playing. Uh, I was just talking about to um, Adam and Josh and Chow here that I'd finally finished Zelda. Uh, I know Adam has actually finally finished a game that he was playing in preparation for Baldur's Gate 3. We will talk about that later. Um, I don't know what uh, Chow has been playing. I assume he's been... Uh... I, I wrote it down on the list. Oh, you did? Oh, let me pull this up. <laughs> I don't read. I don't know how to read. Lost Epic. You want to talk attention. about it? Yeah, and I attention. can talk both. All right. Well, all right. I don't know what that is, so I'll ask you about that later. Um, the theme of this week is kind of... Uh, we have a lot of articles that have gone up on the site, not related to like strictly news or announcements, but uh, some some reviews, of course, some previews. Uh, there have been some embargoes for previews that have been kind of waiting for much of the summer that James was finally able to publish in the last week or so. Uh, and then a few opinion pieces based on some anniversaries over the last week. So we'll kind of at least at least go through the headlines there and shout them out, even if they don't lead to a ton of discussion, as well as, of course, some opinions based on some of the more recent announcements regarding the, the new Final Fantasy XIV expansion, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of releases for this week, there's only one real new release that we can talk about that isn't still embargoed. And that's a game that Josh was able to put up a review up on the site for. And that is Arcadian Atlas. So, Josh, I've been following this game a little bit since its announcement. And I know this is going to sound very trite, but it is an indie-inspired uh, Final Fantasy Tactics-like. Is that as banal as that might be as a description? Is that a correct I mean, sort, description? Sort of, I, I, I'd say it leads more to Tactics Ogre than okay. uh, FF Tactics. But, it, you know, it definitely ha comes from, you know, the, the, like the developers... You know, are big fan of strategy RPGs, especially you know strategy Japanese RPGs. So they mm -hmm. definitely looked like you know the the significant ones in the past for sure. You could kind of feel that in this game, um, you know, but their own putting their own identity on it. So th this is a uh, a game you may have heard of before a long time ago. The the it launched its Kickstarter campaign back in 2016, uh, and that is a, a millennia ago at this point. Uh, since then, you know, they, they raised obviously enough funds to uh, get the project started and going, undergoing development is from Twin Otter Studios. It's a new, brand new uh, independent uh, developer team. Um, this is their first game. This is from a brother-sister duo from Texas. Uh, and they partnered with Serenity Forge to publish it. And that uh, partnership came to light in 2021. So, you know, it's been in the works, you know, the, the kind of building up a game from scratch. And this, is, this feels like this is truly a project that, like, hey, 
we're gonna start development on this like truly if we are able to raise enough money it's not like one of those things where like it's not like one of those kickstarter campaigns that like they're raising it they're raising money to show like a publisher that like hey please fund this project it feels like something that like they were building from crowd from uh, crowdfunded funds and then way down the road uh we're able to get a publisher to just uh, put the game in front of more eyes like you see like a lot in like the the post e3 type of stuff like the summer games fest and all the and the, all the indie sort of like uh collaboration live streams that they can kind of get a lot of indie be- developers together and put their trailers together and st- all that sort of stuff um so yeah uh, i got to pl- play this and it's a pretty i'm not gonna say it's like an amazing strategy rpg like it's it's decent for like as a first game it's like it, it is I was definitely ask, is this their like debut title yeah yeah it okay. is so I, I think it's a decent like debut title in terms of like, hey, what are we capable of this stage? Um, like, you know, go, taking that first step to like releasing a game out is always like you always hear it from every like uh, every develop game developer. It's like, oh, it's always a miracle when a game comes together and it's it's pushed out, you know, like it, it's right. finally released because, you know, game development is so fucking crazy. The, the way just like the processes you have to go through uh to get to get it out uh, getting everything to come together so like you know i think that it's an important first step for the independent developers like get something working and push it out whether it's like a darling or something that's like amazing i think it's one of those things that like it's important to take that first step and prove to yourself that yes it is possible that i can make a game and i can release it it sure might not be the not might not set the world on fire but at least i proved it to myself and to others that you know i i'm capable of doing this you know, and of course, you can always take lessons learned from like uh, from that initial project and say, okay, what can I do differently next time to improve? You know, things that 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 I kind of stumbled upon along the way. So that's how I see this project, mm-hmm. where like it's not the most polished, it's not the most perfect, but it is interesting. Uh, like you know, I I did have a decent time with it. You know, there. Um. So. Arcadian Atlas is kind of your typical love story in terms of like yeah, the two protagonists are Vashti and Desmond. Um, early on, it, like the, the the prologue, it establishes that like hey, they kind of end up at different camps um, because they're in the middle of this uh, royal conflict where uh, this uh, kingdom, the Indentalian, this royal capital. Um, the current the current thing going on is that um, the the king has been poisoned and is effectively dying and uh it's, it's suspected that the queen um because the king remarried and has there's like a relatively new queen at the throne um the, the people are thinking oh did, did the queen poison him to usurp the throne uh from him uh and so uh the the king uh bef- had two daughters before he remarried uh so these are these would be the queen queen's stepdaughters and this is uh Luke, lucrezia and or and Annalise. And uh, Lucre- Lucrezia is like the the older sister, and she she effectively storms out of the capital and like and plans a rebellion against the queen, uh, you know, for obviously killing her dad or suspected of rather. And then Atlas is exiled from the capital um, because uh, because they, like the queen doesn't want her there. Like they, they, like the, the 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 stepdaughters and the queen don't have aren't on good terms. Um, and Annalise kind of uh there's a, like an ongoing conspiracy that uh analyst kind of gets wrapped up in after she's exiled to like a monastery um so uh after like it establishes like you know at the prologue um 
you know that these that Vashti and Desmond are different cramps. It kind of the first chapter is kind of like a flashback of like okay, what led up to them like being separated? Like they, they used to work together under the the Queen Venezia's army, the Italian army. So you kind of they you kind of establish their their relationship and what they do with the army uh, and all that stuff. And at the end of chapter one, uh, it shows how they got separated. Um, chapter two is like is kind of, is kind of a lot of this perspective shifting over what Desmond is doing, what Vashti is doing as the war is like raging on. It's kind of there's like a, like a little time skip. And then chapter three is kind of like the final stretch of the game where the the game, like I even mentioned in the review, where like everything is kind of leads up to like this kind of bog standard, like end of the world scenario. Things happen at the end of chapter two where Annalis is more into play and it kind of it kind of goes into like what you're more uh, used to in like uh, an RPG that's like kind of winding down. Oh, there's, there's this end of the world plot that it's kind of going towards. Um and it, you know the story doesn't really do anything for me. Like a lot of the background information motiv- motivations are locked behind like character descriptions in the compendium in the game. Um, it's it's okay, you know. Like like I said, it's decent, it's me- mediocre, average. It's not like anything crazy. Um, you you do get to know a little bit more about like other side characters as well. Um, like uh, one of their like long-standing like uh, guards that serves under them. She's kind of had a, has her own story. Because as the as the as the conflict continues, like you know, it kind of reaches into her into her like homeland, um, and kind of questions her like her allegiance to the army if like they're starting to attack like her homeland in the name of like pursuing you know the rebellion. Um, then there's uh, the the my favorite, not really a intimate or, or or like deep side story, but like you you come across a, a raccoon that like consumes something and like is able to like not like kind of communicate with you and like kind of become its own sentient intelligent being um after consuming something so you kind of effectively you have a playable raccoon uh character that wields a crossbow uh in your party and that's cool i love him his name's poncho lovely um, does he name himself or do they, does he get his name from someone else they i think they gave they gave his name they, they named him poncho so i'm pretty sure that's how it went um and, and then so uh, as you're as you're go- going along, you're, you're, you you kind of uh, get some playable characters along the way, and then there's there's like a little bit, of, a tiny bit of like branching decisions of like, okay, if you decide to like keep this character with you, you'll they'll join your army, and they might affect like a little small story event thing later on in terms of interactions, but it's nothing too significant. Um, most of your army is gonna be either. Like by characters you already have at the start of the game, or you like just recruit them from the taverns, kind of like mercenaries. You just like pay a fee and then they join your army. And then like the later, the later on as you progress through the game, like the average level of those mercenaries that you recruit from the tavern, like their average level will go up. So you'll like you like you might get like a level like thirty. You'll be able to recruit like a level thirty and like uh, cavalier, for example. You just like slot skill points and you have to worry about like grinding them or anything like that. So when it comes to um gameplay you know it's your standard isometric uh, strategy rpg you can't rotate the camera um that this does kind of you know i i did mention that this kind of made me a, lo- a little annoyed because like i'm okay with like a fixed isometric camera if you're able to account for like uh in like you know visual clutter in the environments um and making like th- there's some level of like transparency between like environmental assets but like not enough sometimes it's very difficult to tell like what tile you're highlighting or what what, what tile, tile you want to move on because there's a lot of like shifting elevations 
and then there are just some environmental assets. It's like it's like even if you make them transparent, it's still hard to like kind of uh, determine like what tile you're highlighting. Despite that, uh, along with like you know different elevations, I'm kind so, of of two minds about that. Like having a fixed camera, like or it's isometric, but you can only see it from one angle. You can like you see kind of this isn't an isometric game, but like I think of Octopath Traveler two kind of messes with that, where they might give you some hint that there's something hidden behind a bluff or behind a ridge where they might have something out of sight that you can see. However, if you're just trying to like move a unit to a certain square and you can't quite tell which one you have selected, then I'd like to have an option to like rotate by 90 degrees, 180 degrees to, to yeah. kind of see like where everything was. So a fixed I, I camera can work if yeah. it's intentionally or like at least makes it clear what you're doing. Yeah, that, that's ideally... Uh... Um, I would prefer that, but uh, obviously, you know, like, like people don't really consider like me, but even being able to like rotate the camera and those types of games, like, does require like a significant level, of, like having like programming and artistic, um, assets like coming together. Because sometimes if you like, if you rotate the camera for like these pixel sprites, like you know, something might get fucked up in the rotation, or like something mm. might glitch out, um, or maybe like you know the the game engine or like the 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 way that they designed the game. Maybe it, it like it it has difficult difficulty operating like shifting the perspective and still having like the the it have having the game behave the same way despite the perspective shift. Just like small little things like that can. I'm trying to can remember. I think I, uh, I think I, I think I read somewhere that like in certain games, if like a certain texture or a certain model is only intended to be viewed from like one perspective, and it's not accounted for viewing it from another perspective, and it like has a glitch in terms of how to how it appears. There's there's a term for that. I think it's called like a wormhole or feed hole or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I in general, regardless of what it's actually called, I can see that where they design a sprite, a model, a character to be viewed from a very specific way. And then if you just allow for free movement of camera, then all of a sudden you've got to account for every single possible way that this thing could be potentially viewed from. Yeah. So the, 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 that's how that's how I was like I, I viewed under the lens. Like you know, I'm not gonna pin it too hard against them for that. I just wish that like if you're gonna keep me at this like perspective, I wish they kind of polished that that end more out to make it more easier to view like where you are when you're like you know navigating which tile you wanna be on in combat. Um, as like we we're for your party, um, you're usually deploying uh, up to five units, sometimes six, sometimes a little less. Then like very few instances where you like you're, you force deploy st story characters, but like they're not they're, there's not that many uh, instances of that. Um, and they're, they're, you can pretty much like you know well, whoever you have in your squad, it, it kind of gives you uh, free reign on like whatever you want to do. So I came like I, I kind of stumbled upon a very dumb strategy early on, where like I, I uh, range range DPS in that game is very good, so. My team composition for like ninety nine percent of that game was like four people who can who wielded crossbows and a an apothecary to just you know kind of make sure that they that they they stay healed and other and the, and the four crossbow people just like went to work and kind of killed things from a distance and the only things that ever really hit me were things that like can like were like instantly were instant casts from uh, um from elemental uh classes and like and re other range dps classes other than that like um melee uh enemies never got to me and it was time efficient too because it takes like the pace of battles are is pretty slow there's not it's not like fast forward and like the animations of like things are like pretty simplistic and somewhat slow so 
there was like really no downside as well uh and like you just kind of made battles faster and like going with any other team comp just made things slower because most melee classes would really have to be up close and start dealing damage and the the one the amount of damage they deal like lackluster compared to like range dps uh and two like even the even the their skills that do like affect multiple tiles or several tiles in front of them uh did way less damage uh so it was just kind of like a win-win scenario on that end uh the, the game messes with elevation a lot like i mentioned so you know these cl- these range dps has like ranger and hunter that like deal with uh bows and crossbows uh also have like uh, a significant advantage when they're um um on higher elevation so you have better field of view and everything and they and it just it just kind of reinforces why they're so good it's like you can just they can just like jump to like way higher tiles because they have uh, skill trees that enhance that jump stat that reinforces that so you can just like play keep away even better if you want even though they have skills that can just like pin enemies uh in their place as well um so like so yeah so a lot of the game's challenge right off the bat like early on kind of disappeared for me after stumbling upon that and testing out my my theory in my head and then seeing how that developed over time was like okay well even even like the final fight was just like it I, i think i ended that like in three turns and i barely moved like two or three spots from the starting location so for people who don't know like tactics ogre PSP like and really like range the the knew how strong range classes were in that game it's it's sort of like that um the way that the game handles levels and experience is int- interesting because there's like no level meters experience bars or anything it's it's basically if a character participates in a battle they'll automatically level up by one. As long as they, they you deployed them in a battle, they'll level up by one. And then you level up, um, they get a skill point, and you can slot them into their skill tree. Uh, each, 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 uh, initially, you start with four basic classes, which is like Cavalier, Warmancer, which is like your mages, the wizards, um, Ranger, and Apothecary. And e- uh, each of their skill trees have like two specialties. So, for example, the Cavalier has like a, a skill tree path that's like that uh focuses on like one-handed swords and a shield and uh their skills that like you know required to have those weapons equipped while another path uh, another path down the cavalier tree is like two-handed swords so like they deal more damage but they sacrifice a bit of defense uh for it um after you slot in like 19 or 20 skill points you can promote that class so the cavalier once again can like uh you can promote it to either um inquisitor or Ronin, and each of the Inquisitor and Ronin classes have their own like branching skill tree as well down separate paths. Like Ronin has like, uh, or, yeah, Ronin has like a more somewhat support type of build, and one is like kind of like a berserker type of tree, uh, for example. And then like Inquisitor has like kind of once again really really holds it on like party support, and one like has one that like does a lot of damage to like undead. Um, and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of like interesting like synergies and like class um, variety you can uh, make and mishmash. Um, for me, I was like, I'll just do four hunters and one monk because the apothecary the apothecary can go to monk or shabid, um, and that, that, that those were pretty neat. That, that, those are pretty cool like classes to have together and just kind of 
broke the game even more. Um, for for story characters, uh, like like Vashti and Desmond and like two others, they'll automatically get level ups the, the, regardless of if they're deployed or not. So like, so because like there'll be like for those very few instant or battles where they're like forced onto the field, it's kinda, I guess it's like the developers are making sure like, hey, these people should be leveled up because we leveled them up for you. Um, so you don't even have to deploy them to just like keep them built up. Um, it just it kind of disincentivizes like deploying them because it's like oh it's just another slot I can just use to like level yeah, up yeah level up someone else and then get the auto freebies for for the story characters. So that that, that it's a it's a weird design decision on that end. Um, and other than that, like you know the the what you do in the game is like you you go across this like world map. There's like nodes on the map, and then sometimes in towns you can go to an item shop. You can uh, get more gear. You you get a shit ton of money, in-game money in this game, so you never really have money problems, in my opinion. There's some side quests you can do as well. They don't they, they don't really have much of a story. They have like a, a description of like what the side quest is, and then you go to that place, you go into a battle, you finish it, and then you just turn it in for rewards. Very very basic stuff. Um sometimes from side quests you can get like, you know, some good gear from them. Sometimes you'll get like these medals, which you can use at a, a different uh, at another shop in the game, and you can and the, these medals are very very basic, right? Like you can use these medals to like respect like your story characters if you want to put them in a different class uh, entirely, uh, or if you can uh, use these medals to like get discounts at the shop so you permanently um, lower the price of like things that that you're able to buy and then lo- uh, raise the price of things that you sell. Um, just very basic stuff like that. Um, what else? That's that's kind of the game in a nutshell, to be honest. Like it's it's a it's a very basic, com- functional, semi competent strategy RPG. Um, it's uh, uh, but they but these are very very talented developers. Um, the, the uh, and of course like you know the the look of the game, um, is very very novel. Like when you look at like the the human portraits. And the animal portraits, like it's a very Art Nouveau type of uh, art style, uh, the very distinct look uh, to it all. And I, I think the, the favorite part about like the, the visual style was like it was even like the facial expressions they're able to make with their pixel art. Like it's very, it's very obvious like what the direction of a scene is going to be based on like the, ex- the, the expressions that characters make in, in a scene before like anything is even uttered, which is pretty impressive. Like you know when. You can see like someone is like ske- like skeeving or has like a conniving sort of like look when they kind of like droop their like eyes like, even in pixel art you can tell like oh the direction of the scene's not going to be a great one like you know something bad's going to happen in the scene so being able to like convey that with pixel art uh, is pretty good uh, especially for like your debut project that's probably one of its like hidden strengths in it I'd say so that's uh, pretty awesome and like uh, yeah. and other than that like it has a pretty uh, distinct soundtrack. Like uh, compared to like what you're, um, what you're looking at, like you know, like with things like Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics, it's a very sort of fantasy style, like like lots of trombones, lots, lots of trumpets, like lots of like triumphant sort of like resounding noises, uh, coming from uh, from, coming from wind instruments. Um, while this one takes a more uh, jazz uh, approach to it all, it's a, a lot of saxophone uh, usage in this one. So it's um, how long is it? It it's it's twelve hours. It took me twelve hours, just about twelve hours to finish. So I didn't know like the price of the game, but like 
I guess they're selling this for a launch discount for like I think twenty five dollars, but the original price is like thirty dollars. I'm like, that's a that's a that's a lot. You know, I'm, you know, the getting to the price discussion is always weird, but for me, it's like that's that's a lot of money for you know, it's not it's not a bad like an awful game, but it's just like that's a high price tag. So I didn't know that um, until like they actually started selling it, um, and also like in the I, I was kind of browsing through the Steam forums. And people were asking how long it was, and like the, some of the developers, like oh, it's like twenty five to thirty hours. I'm like, I don't know, man. I I beat it in twelve hours with all the side quests, and this was like, on like the hardest difficulty. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's that... pretty typical that we see times kind of overestimated from publishers. Which, so I mean, I can't really blame them for it. Uh, yeah. Though for a strategy game, I always kind of expect that those just have a little bit slower pace in general, like deliberately so. So the the fact that it's still that short just tells me like how like how many battles did you do? Or I did I did, I, 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 did, I did like over over forty battles because like it's easy to keep counting like the levels of people, right? Mm, <laughs> um, right. But um, but once again, I found a strategy that made battles pretty fucking fast. So mm. that that's you got to factor in like I found a team composition and stuck with it because it was so time efficient and like ridiculously broken. And so. I'm kind of a, I'm a kind of a multiple minds of that too. Like every single, I won't say every single, so many strategy games, whether they're like strategy RPGs, grid based, or or they're dungeon crawlers or whatever, there will be broken. Like you can't perfectly balance everything. You can't have it without these things are more effective, more efficient than other things. But the fact that you stumbled on it so easily and never were like required to change your um like approach. Just seems yeah. kind of like unfortunate. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. I also mentioned that too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fine with finding like like stupid fucking uh, things and strategy RPGs to like kind of rip the game wide open. I just, I just wish that there was like other different scenarios in the game that like pushed you to think differently outside of that. Like, like I wish there was just like say like uh, several maps or scenarios in the game that's like oh, okay, definitely like, a range DPS will be trash at this map or at this or at this section, you know. And it, that, that just didn't happen. <laughs> just didn't happen. I don't mind it so much if it's like, oh, if you use class A with subclass B and make sure you have armor set C and use these abilities, then you have a really broken build. I don't really mind that because you had to go through the theory crafting to get to that point. It's a little bit less. Uh, I like a little bit less if it's just, you know, an I win button that works in every scenario. Like, oh, just use this class and you win. Uh, I know it's not quite like that, but basically, if you have to work towards some sort of build that's quote overpowered, I don't mind it so much. <laughs> yeah, than, you know, just and, 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 the crossbows. And, and you also kind of like bypassing a lot of mechanics because the, the game also has like like elemental like reactions, like like you, you like you inflict like a wet status on the on this person and then use another spell and like it'll turn them it'll make them freeze or then like if you or if you can like put them on fire and then you like uh, and then you inflict a noxious um elemental element on them and they're on fire you'll make like an explosion reaction and they'll, it'll cause them to burn uh, and all that's like like there's other systems of the game that like theoretically might be very strong but there's nothing really to like there, 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 like there are other systems, other avenues of the game that like this and like makes that process too too much work because like instead of just like going through three steps to making like 
to, to making something maybe like do a, a, a little bit of damage. Why don't I just like take the first step and just make everything explode immediately and do, do a fuck ton of damage? You know, like like one of one of the things that like, I came across early on is like, hey, look, the crossbow people have like a skill that um, fires a shot that um, not not that not only does has like a, has a huge attack modifier when the, when you level it up, but it also pins the person in place upon hitting. It's like that's a weird thing to assign to a skill then when you promote them to hunter it's like oh they have a companion and they now they now have like a aoe move that you can instantly cast from very very far away and it'll do more damage the more like you uh enhance like companion damage on their tree and then there's like other skills that the hunter learns that are instant cast instead of the delayed um action from like the ranger class that just like do a lot of damage as well and have like really stupid modifiers it's like I'm in my mind. I was like, why would you do anything else if you could just like kill things in like one or two shots instead of like and and that and and that's from step one instead of like taking three steps to maybe kill them in three hits, you know? Yeah, the utility of those additional like statuses or strategies just isn't there when you can just do damage. Yeah, and and that like if there if there, if there was like. Like if there was like actually like enemies in the game, like say like like say there were elemental golems that like hey their skin is so tough that like the only doing like like hitting them with arrows or just like or like unelem like uh, or attached to no elemental anything on them will do like nearly no damage. So you have to really push to like you know uh, experiment the elemental system in the game to like take them down efficiently. You know, that would solve some of it. Just, like, having different types of enemies that, like, count are hard counters against it, you know? Um, just the very basic example like that. It's like, if there were, like, like things about that game that, like, ha- incorporated stuff like that, I would, like, appreciate it a lot more. And I would be like, oh, okay, that's actually a pretty cool, like, tactical strategy thing to, like, go about it. And really push for, like, encourage different t- team compositions to, like, vary up approaches for certain enemies. But no, no. Generalizing from that a bit, one one thing that I kind of like treat as like not not like a rule, but like a like a like a guideline or a heuristic is in your RPG, whether it's a strategy RPG or an action RPG or whatever, is just like how useful is poison or more generically, like how useful is our status elements are like whenever you have a Final Fantasy game or any other like classic game where like every single boss is immune to every single status. To me, that's almost just like disappointing. Like I want to have like some sort of enemy or boss where it's like the most effective way to beat this guy is to poison them or to like at least um, take advantage of like of some sort of like elemental weakness. If if they like make it so or just you figure out whatever roulette deals the highest dps and you just repeat that unfortunately that's just an easy trap to run into and it's and it's easier to say than than it is to to design like you said like the work that these what two three developers have done the fact that they got a game to market got a publisher deal got it you know did the crowdfunding all all in itself is all admirable and the fact that we're just saying like well the balance would be better if we did this this and this this is all stuff that they could take for their next project whatever form or or fashion that ends up looking like yeah i mean yeah, i mean like they're, they're definitely like you know usability issues as well like like, like i know a lot of people like personally it didn't bother me but i could see how it bothers some some other people's like the font choices in the game like a lot of people have a issue with mm-hmm. the font choice i'm like okay i can see that actually like yeah, i can see like for me it didn't bother me but like yeah i can see how people can 
you know, have a problem with that. Like uh, some people have like a problem with, like uh, using controller on the game. I actually used full keyboard on the game to navigate around because I because I, I like after a certain point I was like I don't know like using controller on this game is like not really as smooth as I want it to be. So, but if so, but I find like you no know, switching to keyboard, you know. Um, so I just kind of navigated like my troops and field just like using keyboard alone. And then, and it's cool that they actually have like a full keyboard feature. Like you don't have to use the mouse at all. Just keyboard alone play the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a it's a it's a, it's a cool first attempt. I would really like to see, you know, what their not next project is and see what, where they go from here. I I hope this does like you know feedback on this game doesn't deter them from like you know continuing to make other games. You know, I'm sure they're gonna continue to work and improve this game and uh, listen to the community and see what other things they can like you know to to, to make it better. But also, I I want them to also uh, you know not not get too down on like. Uh, on like constructive feedback of like you know people who want to like this game people and like and like this is all good because like there's all like feedback that like they can take into account we're going to like, okay where did we where did we go wrong from this what could we learn from this you know the, is there something like in our it, it, like in our process or like in our initial like our like in, in the conceptualization process like we can look at things differently this time around um and, and understanding more of the realities of like going from like the like you know thinking up of a game, going through the process of making it, and, like, getting it to market. Like, we've learned so many things from this process. Like, what can we do better this time around to make that process more efficient, more smooth? Uh, stop. So, we'll see. We'll see how it goes from here. So, the other game that I was teasing up here was a game that I know Adam spent uh, some time over the last couple months playing. He had to step away from it a few times to play some uh, other embargo titles, which we'll talk about in the future. But Adam, you've been preparing yourself for the upcoming Baldur's Gate 3, which comes out in less than a week. Yep. <laughs> so a long time ago, a long time being like four years ago or so, uh, I started and played Baldur's Gate 1 because I had never played it, uh, the classic Baldur's Gate. And I was just like, you know what? I should. And Baldur's Gate 1, I think, is a pretty good game, but getting into it is actually pretty tough. Like, the early game, Baldur's Gate, low-level D&D mechanics, it, you kind of just... It's one of those RPGs where starting out, you kind of just suck at everything. And your, your group of, like, pathetic weaklings meets a group of direwolves, and you're going to get demolished. Um, so, anyways, I beat Baldur's Gate 1, and then... I was basically like, all right, I need I should play Baldur's Gate 2 eventually. And well, actually, I never got around you, to it. Before you move on to Baldur's Gate 2, I just want to say how much I do empathize with your you feel weak as shit in Baldur's Gate 1. And it's in a way where it almost feels frustrating, where yeah. you're like, am I doing something wrong? Am I just dumb? Do I not know how to play games anymore? It's yeah, just I the balance Baldur's is so Gate 1. Uh, you were fighting wolves. You start out in the wilderness in Baldur's Gate 1, and your fight wolves are some of the first things you fight. And no matter like what your class is, you find Jahira and uh, um, Khaled early on, and just like they're swinging, they're swinging their weapons at the wolves, and they're just like missing every single time. And you're just like, what am I? Is this is this is this the game? Like I'm just sitting here hoping that they hit something. Like come on, dudes. Uh, but yeah. And, and when when a character dies, you don't just throw Phoenix down on them and they're fine. It's it's a huge dead. hassle to yeah to revive if you yeah. can. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I also have a, a question on that. Like, Fred, like for people who like are interested in like going to Baldur's Gate One and Baldur's Gate Two, like these days, is it like easy to like get running on like a modern PC without any hassle, or do you have to 
Yeah, the enhanced edition, the enhanced editions, uh, released by Beamdog like ten years ago, uh, twelve years ago, something like that. Uh, those ones should work on any PC, pretty no problem. Okay. Um, and those versions also got ported to most platforms like Switch, Xbox, uh, PlayStation Four. So, to be honest, I can't imagine playing one of these games with a controller. I have no idea how that would even work. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, obviously these are PC games at heart, so they're keyboard mouse. You know, that's what they're designed for, literally. Anyways, so approaching Baldur's Gate 3 this year, I was like, wow, I better play Baldur's Gate 2. Uh, so uh, for those who may not be aware, Baldur's Gate 3 t- takes place, I think, like 100, 200 years after Baldur's Gate 2. And, you know, it's going to be situated in a sense where it's a starting point. You know, it's obviously a very different style of game from a different developer 20 years later. It's you don't need to play the you don't need to play Baldur's Gate one and two to to play three, but I was just like let me do it because I I want to I want to see those references I want to learn more about the world and the histories and the places and so on and so forth. Um, so a couple about six weeks ago I played actually before I got to Baldur's Gate two I played Siege of Dragonspear, which if you're not aware Siege of Dragonspear is kind of an interquel mini game that takes place in between one and two that was developed by Beamdog. Uh, it doesn't have a great reputation. Uh, first of all, it's sort of like a filler arc in an anime because, you know, obviously everything that happens in that game can't be referenced in two because it came out afterwards. So on one hand, it's just sort of like, well, all these places I'm seeing and characters I'm meeting, none of them matter. Uh, it's okay. It's fine. It's a little bit of a weird structure. It's not great. I remember when I played Siege of Dragonspear, the thing that was most strange about it is that obviously Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 are the classic quintessential CRPG, which I know that term has grown to mean different things to different people like any other RPG genre. Um, But it's a party of five to six characters with a classic real-time with pause system. So you have like your traditional D&D. Yeah, you have your traditional D&D party where you'll have a few frontliners. You'll have a couple mages. You'll likely have one character who specialized at support of some sort, whether it's healing or bard or something. But then in Siege of Dragonspear, they do this thing where you have your regular party, but they do this thing where it's almost like tactics adjacent. They're like, well, what if you have a bunch of other like soldiers or mooks with you and they also fight? And it's like, wait, what? Like, I, th- that's fine, but that's does that work in this sort of game? And I think Siege of Dragonspear kind of answers, not really. I mean, it doesn't. It's not. It's not broken, but it's just strange. Yeah, um, like the final, the final battle of Siege of Dragonspear is, you guessed it, the Siege of Dragonspear, which is a castle, and you have like your party of six, and then there's like literally twenty other NPC dudes fighting for you, and you're fighting like forty enemies. Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, you're never fighting, like, that many enemies. Very rarely are you fighting that many enemies. And even if you are, it's, like, they're usually, like, like really, intended really to, Intended to be, like, fodder. Yeah. 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 It, it sort of becomes, like, a weird pseudo-RTS game where you have, a like, where you have, like, literally dozens of allies and dozens of enemies, and it's, it's awkward. But, uh, and then the story is kind of whatever, and, you know, it's fine. I, I played it just out of obligation. It's not bad. Like it's got the same sort of mechanics. It's got some cool, it's got some quests that are, you know, rewarding and whatnot. It just, it's not necessary. <laughs> uh, anyways, Baldur's Gate 2. So Baldur's Gate 2, it opens up very differently than one. 
you go through a little tutorial area, but then after that, you're basically just you're dropped into a city. And then in the city, you're just going to stumble across side quests, characters, sub-events, uh, companions, people from Baldur's Gate 1, new characters, new companions, all over the place. You're basically tripping over all these different events that are going on. And it's the sort of thing where you get your, your like, oh, this character mentioned this thing in the graveyard. Let me head that way. And then you get distracted by another character mentioning another thing, you know, somewhere else. And that's a different quest line with a different character. I think there's literally like 15 companions that you can bump into. They each have a quest or two. So there's a lot. And there's this density to like kind of overlapping little quests and stories that I really appreciated. And most importantly, uh, I imported my Baldur's Gate 1 character. Uh, I think your allies kind of reset no matter what. Unless you're using a mod of some sort. Uh, which I didn't. But you don't feel weak as shit. Like you, it feels more natural in terms of, oh, okay, I'm this level. I can do these, you know, early entry level quests and fights, and then you gain better weapons and equipment to do the the higher level stuff. And it just, it's much easier to get into. Uh, I know people have made arguments that just like low level D and D just doesn't work in a computer game. I don't know. It at least didn't implement it very well here. And I know D and D rules have changed a lot in twenty years, but. It's a lot easier to get into Baldur's Gate 2 than 1. And I thought a lot of the... the I, thought, I thought the main story, like, premise, it's relatively simple on its face. You basically are kidnapped by some dude with magic. I know classic RPG fans don't need me to explain the, the plot of Baldur's Gate 2, but I'm sure there's a lot of newer RPG players yeah. that haven't played these. This dude, who's like a magician, I guess... Uh, you don't know when you're first playing the game, captures captures you and does something to you. And then he, uh, some events happen, and basically he and your character's sister, whose name is Imowen, are basically kidnapped, and you need to go basically find him and save her. And that's basically the, 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 the initial premise. But then there's all these different side events and side stories and quests that are taking place that are pretty cool and pretty interesting, both from a story, story, uh, story viewpoint as well as just the sort of fight you're doing, the sort of equipment you have, the... Uh, you know, the, the equipment you find, the looting aspect of it, you know, it's pretty fun and engaging. Um, and like I said, it's a much, much easier to get into. And overall, the structure of the game was maybe a little bit unexpected to me. You can spend a lot of time, this is chapter two and all this stuff happens. If you want, you can spend a lot of time, like 30, 40 hours just doing side quests. It's like a side quest game. Uh, it sort of, in a loose way, kind of reminded me of, uh, like, Mass Effect 2, where, like, you have a main story, but really the whole point of the game is all the other stuff you can do, which is not technically the main story, but you're, you should do it. Uh, and then I actually felt that the way the main story kind of unfolded, it actually was sort of at a level that I kind of liked in terms of... of the escalation of the conflict, learning out who the villain is, and and the, the basically just the the plot points that get to that point and how and how it concludes. I actually thought it was pretty well done. Uh, after that, there's a, an expansion to Baldur's Gate Two called Throne of Ball. I didn't really care for this as much. What did you think of Throne of Ball, Brian? I I'll like, be honest. So I had played Baldur's Gate One and Two not that long ago. It was like four to five years ago. 
but enough where like I I remember when Adam was playing through it, I was like, what's he going to think about the reveals at the Elven Village or about the the antagonist of two? But then when I was thinking of Throne of Ball, um, or yeah, the the expansion. I found that just my I had latched on to less of it. Like my memory was yeah, much foggier because there there was just a lot less there like that didn't leave as much of an impression on me. There's a certain character that is a party member in the expansion that I remembered very clearly, but I had almost forgotten the the last antagonist until I was watching Adam play. Like, oh yeah, I remember this battlefield. Oh yeah, I remember this person. Um but like oh. it, it just unlike unlike John Arenicus the antagonist of the expansion, I had almost, it was like on the fringes of my memory. Like, oh yeah, this person was a thing. Yeah. Um, so long story short, I, I felt the plot and the villain and the conflict in Baldur's Gate 2, you know, like you said, I thought it was pretty well done and I kind of attached to it and I'll probably remember it. Throne a Ball, it quite literally is just like, you are a ball spawn. You have the power of a god. Are you going to use it for good or evil? And you must <laughs> defeat the other ball spawns to claim your throne or not. And it, it just kind of feels because kind of like, uh, I don't care about this. Like, it's not interesting. Like, it's it, it really, really kind of hammers like heavily. Are you going to be a good, you know, are you, do you? You, you have divine powers. That's not really a spoiler. That's your character. Um, are you going to use them for good or evil? Ooh, I'm just Ooh. like, I don't care. And, like, I, and, I, and, so I, and not only that, but um, like, obviously, Baldur's Gate 1, the, the thing that feels so different about Baldur's Gate 1 versus 2 is in Baldur's Gate 1, you don't go to the city of Baldur's Gate until like the last act of the game. So it feels very like upside down in that way yes. where where in the second game you have your access to om on the sword coast i, mean, I guess you said it was chapter two not chapter one but early it, on um, and and om is the country akala oh. is the city oh, okay um and the, but then if i remember right in the expansion it's basically a giant dungeon splunking yes. like you yeah. have like a little hub area if i remember right it's like a pillar of fire it's a pocket that... portal it's a pocket portal a pocket portal of hell and then, like, all your characters stand in, like, a circle, and you just kind of go around, and you can talk to them. And it's not, like, it's not bad. It's just a lot less interesting than having, like, this expansive city. Calling lively city, yeah. So, I, I it kind of makes more sense. Well, I had played Baldur's Gate 1, but that Larian Studios released a trailer that was basically just, here's what Baldur's Gate looks like. And I know a lot of people latched onto that, because it's kind of like, this is the main hub of the game this is where like all the action takes place you know there's I, you hope we hope there's going to be a bunch of quests a bunch of characters a bunch of events a bunch of overlapping storylines that take place there which is kind of what happens in both Baldur's Gate in the first game and Othkala in the second game so yeah I beat that game earlier this week Baldur's Gate 2 and Throne of Ball and so I know Baldur's Gate 3 takes place a couple hundred years later but it, I'm assuming there's going to be some references to people places things events um minx is in the game somehow <laughs> I, I still I, I always forget that i'm like why I, I still try to wrap my head i, I gather one of the tabletop uh like campaigns that is dnd baldur's gate explains it so before like i petrified himself before so i played before baldur's I... gate one i had seen like i had heard of minx i had seen people use him as like profile pics on forums on twitter or whatever i heard about his hamster or his rat or whatever I'm like oh who is this like popular Baldur's Gate character like who and then I'll be honest when I played the games like I don't he is very 
He's kind of annoying. Um, he's he's I don't like I have I can name many other characters more than Minx that are a lot Minx more Minx is kind of just like a he's like a gimmicky like um he's got like a very surface level gimmicky goofy personality but that's about it. I'm trying to think like of a good analog but I really can't um he's like He's not good. I don't like Minx. There, I'll just leave, I'll just leave yeah, it like yeah, that. It's definitely a character of an era type of deal. Like you just like tried to t- take it into the context of like when those games came out. It's like, oh, you know, that, that's it's funny that like you know a, a game can make you smile like this, mm-hmm. sort of sort of thing like, like that. One of, one of Minx's sort of uh, companion things in Baldur's Gate Two is he's trying to convince you that Boo, who is his hamster, is actually a giant hamster from space. Hell yeah, that's the type of humor it is. He's like he's actually a space hamster and he's actually a giant. Okay, but okay, Minx, whatever you say. <laughs> um, uh, so you know, for obviously, you know, there's be a lot of people new to Baldur's Gate with Baldur's Gate Three. Uh, some of them might be more familiar with like uh, RPGs, like uh, you know the the Divinity series. For people who like who may decide to like you know try out those earlier uh, earlier games, either after try after playing Baldur's Gate Three or maybe a little bit before, like. I guess just general advice from both of you, like, you know, from the framework of, like, hey, these people are probably more used to modern RPGs, probably coming, like, from the games like Divinity, like, what are, like, some, like, like just very surface-level beginner uh, tips? I know this from when people tried to play... It's sort of funny, because to me it feels sort of natural, but people playing modern RPGs, it's it's kind of amusing seeing them, like, get introduced to these sort of systems... Uh, so the the game that Bioware made after Baldur's Gate was Knights of the Old Republic, and that came out relatively recently for like Switch, and because it was ported. And I remember actually, I think it was Cullen playing it, and he like was sort of flabbergasted and confused about how the dice roll combat worked, <laughs> where your character starts swinging at the at your foe in front of you. But it, the animation of if your lightsaber hits their model doesn't matter at all. And it's not a turn-based system. You don't, you know, it just, he just starts swinging. And sometimes you hit and sometimes you miss because there's invisible dice rolls that are taking place in terms of your aiming and their dodging. And, like, to me, that's just, like, mechanics. Like, oh, okay, that's the mechanics of the game. And obviously those similar mechanics dice rolls are in Baldur's Gate. So that's, it's, it's a real-time with pause system. It's, you know... Knights Old Republic sort of has that real time with pause, just with a different uh, perspective. And so I know some people argue that Baldur's Gate is a good game despite that, where like real time with pause just cannot be a good system no matter what you do. It's just inherently flawed, which I'm not going to argue against it. But I don't maybe think that strongly against it, but it's the sort of game where uh, you have to kind of just get used to that sort of you tell your characters what to do and then they'll start doing it. But then there's all this, you know, RNG in the background in terms of do they hit? Do they not? Is it a critical hit? You don't actually, there's no turns. So you're not like choosing now on this action, you're doing this one thing. And on this action, you're doing another thing. They're just going to start doing a thing over and over until you tell them to do something else. So, it does take a little bit to get a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, so, so people now, who are like, so like people who are like modern modern players are like who are used to like models colliding, and then because those models collided, that should hit. Like that doesn't apply here because of nope. that. Okay. And then, uh, but the thing is, of course, is that Baldur's Gate three does not have this sort of system at all. It's turn based, and from yeah, what I can tell, it's pretty much pure turn based. Like you're, 
And you can argue, like, I, I don't quite remember if characters move individually or do you have, like, a round where you can move your characters in a round and then the enemies get a turn, you know, is it round-based, is it turn-based, whatever. But it's not, not real-time with pause, for sure. Well, um, I remember when I, I played uh, not only, like, the Divinity games, which are turn-based, but played the early access of Baldur's Gate 3 in 2020. And like like you, I don't quite remember if it was pure turn-based or round-based or phase-based, all the different, but it was not real-time with pause. But then I've also played games like um, uh, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, where I forget if it was at launch or post-launch, but that game has a turn-based toggle. You can choose real-time with pause or turn-based. And when I would play Baldur's Gate or when I would play Divinity, at the time I would say, well, turn-based, I like having that level of control. I like having that level of pace. I like being able to know exactly what's going on rather than having all six of my characters acting at the same time and kind of having to like pause and toggle between them. It feels a lot sloppier. However, once I played um, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous and then also uh, the second Pillars of Eternity Was game, yeah, yeah, had has the option again i forget if it was that launcher a, a post i think it was a post edition um one of these games had like a fan mod for turn base and then it was like adopted or something it was eventually like blessed but uh so um dead fire i played real time with pause because i believe at the time that's all the only option i had but uh wrath of the righteous i had the option to play in turn base and there's actually like there's a part in that game where you're fighting against like a master tactician where you're forced to use turn base because that's kind of like the gimmick like how you're on a chessboard now. And I remember when I played that, I was like, dear God, this is so slow. Yeah, um, and that, and then, I remember people making that same argument where they're like, yeah, I want turn-based. And then they realize, oh, wow, this is way slower than real-time with pause. But I will say it's nice to be able to toggle between them because if yeah. you're fighting like trash where you can kind of give a few general inputs, use your strongest skills, um, everyone else can kind of just act on their own behalf and then you can clear the fight pretty quickly. Real time with pause is perfect, but if it's like a okay, this is a boss fight. I'm under leveled. I need to make sure I do things in the right way in the right order. Slowing down and going turn base is well is good. It's kind of a mm-hmm. moot point because in Baldur's Gate three, turn base is your only option, um, and it's calibrated around that. So if anything, this would be almost going the other way because in both Pathfinder and Deadfire's case, designed as real-time with pause games where then turn-based was added afterwards, or at least developed afterwards, where this game is obviously being developed with turn-based in mind. So it, I'm guessing, won't feel quite as slow in that respect. Because I don't remember playing through the Divinity games thinking that those are slow either. Um, and I do know people who have played the Divinity games and played Baldur's Gate 3's Early Access, like this feels just like Divinity game in the skin of a D&D you know, Sword Coast game. And that's kind of true. It's been a few years since I played the early access. Um, does it feel like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2? Maybe not, but it, it is a different developer 20 years later. It was always going to feel somewhat different. Um, yeah, and I mean, just, even if Bioware was doing Baldur's Gate 3, you know, I'm going to guess that 95% of that staff isn't there anymore. Right. Definitely, definitely not the doctors. They're not there anymore. Same same so, sort of thing with like the... Uh, it's a very different style of game, but like... Hell yeah, Retro Studios is making Metroid Prime 4, but it's like, how much of that is actually like the same talent? Uh, Who knows? So, yeah, so I'm all ready for Baldur's Gate 3 next week. You you got to play play the Divinity games. Yeah, I haven't played a Divinity game. (laughs) You've got five days. I better get all of those Divinity games done in the next five days. Okay. The Divinity (laughs) games are, are the sorts of games where if I could freeze time, and just be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna freeze time and play through a game in my in my 
um, hyper hyperbolic time chamber, or room of spirited time, or whatever. I would I would play through Divinity two again, but I also also know it's like a hundred and fifty hour commitment. Even if you rush through it, I think it's like a sixty hour commitment. So I'm like, great game. It's, you only play it once. A, just as a side comment, I remember like the, before Original Sin one came out, I remember the Divinity games. There were several of them, but they were never like. How do I put this? Just Original Sin one was sort of like kind of like a. A breakout. I'm looking for like a breakout, and two even more so, but only partially because one had good reception. I just remember the Divinity games before that. It was just like, oh, here's another European tactical RPG. That's okay, I guess. Um, and I'm sure people, I'm sure those games have their fans, but uh, it it kind of just exploded with Original Sin, like for sure. I'm not sure. And now, I, and now I Larian, wish. And now Larian Studios has like six different studios worldwide, or something like that. I wish I had the history on hand to know why, like what contributed to Original Sin 1 being the breakout hit that it was. And I don't like I'm sure you could research this and figure it out, but I haven't. The fact that it was uh, it was on some sort of crowdfunding service. I forget if it was Kickstarter or another one of those. And then I know Divinity Original Sin 2 had early access window as well. I'm not sure yes. if early access was in quite as formalized a space for one, but it's probably a combination of those things that helped contribute to it being a breakout hit, plus just the the word of mouth from the original games. And I after at some point between playing Original Sin 1 and 2, I did grab all the other Divinity games, but I just you know, haven't had time to get yeah, to them. They're, they're kind of like, like they're they're in my Steam library. I just need a time to play them. Kind of, kind of like what you did with Baldur's Gate. Like if they ever, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm sure they will. They will. They will. They'll, Divinity has been a really good IP for them. They will return to Divinity at some point. Maybe at that point, be like, all right, I will play the original Divinity games, and then I'll even play like that Dragon Commander tactical one. Like <laughs> just to yep. know my know know my bases and uh, get ready for whatever Divinity Original Sin Four or whatever. Skipping three. Uh three. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> For uh Baldur's Gate three, um I got I guess the, I didn't like pre-order it or like uh buy it yet or any, anything. How do how is like everything working like for people who like who buy the what Baldur's Gate three is not downloaded, like will the game just like auto update into the full version? Yeah. And they even said on Twitter, um saves will not be compatible so if you you can't just go ahead and buy it now you if you wanted to you could buy it now and play part of it now but in less than a week your save if you update it will not load is so it one of those things where, like, start. is it one of those games where like the the there's like a discount for it because it's an early access and then like you know, know there's the bonus stuff let me pull up the same page now. Uh, no, yeah, right now it's it now you get a if you buy it now you get a uh, a special dice skin because that game actually shows like your dice rolls. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, really it's good. As of go. right as of right now, it's full price even for early access. Well, I guess it's fifty nine ninety nine, which I think is full price. But, so it's not a seventy dollar uh, game. Remember when PC games were fifty bucks, and then someone else would be like, "Remember when PC games were twenty bucks?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's not, it's not a seventy dollar game at least. Will it be once it's on PS5? I don't know. Okay. All right. So so maybe, so maybe the call is like, hey, just buy it and then, and then maybe just like download it when it goes live or something. Yeah. If, you, if you're planning on playing it, you might as well buy it early because you get some bonus stuff. 
but you can't you can play it early you just there's no really really no point well i, I mean, well, I mean you, you could learn like about your class because that way you're not yeah, like, you have choice choice paralysis at the character, character creator, creator. yeah so yeah. randomize now, everything we'll talk about this more next week i'm sure uh, all of our whoever's starting Baldur's gate 3 i just i feel like this game is sort of coming out at a good time because there's sort of been a dearth of this sort of western style rpg like we've gotten, you know, Outer Worlds a couple of years ago, and we've gotten, I mean, Cyberpunk. <laughs> like, yeah, Cyberpunk, but that's sort of a different style. Like, and then you have to go to like these smaller studios like Greedfall a couple of years ago. So my point is, there's just kind of been a dearth of this sort of RPG, which is like third person. This one's more tactical than maybe a Bioware game, but. Uh, it's got like romance options in it, which I know a lot of people are big fans of that, which some other games just didn't have so much of that. Um, like I know Starfield doesn't have, supposedly doesn't really have romance. And those those Bethesda RPGs are kind of different beasts anyway. So I kind of feel like I've seen a lot of people who are maybe not necessarily fans of, you know, like Larian and Divinity games, but maybe fan of like Dragon uh, Dragon Age or Bass Effect, Bioware style RPGs are interested in this because it's sort of it's been a long time since we've had a Bioware style RPG. I mean, there was Andromeda, which was sort of mixed reaction, and that was I feel like yeah, five years ago, like 2015 to 2019, maybe 2020, you had a few options like. Uh, maybe maybe even before that, like 2012, 2013, 2014, like you had the Shadowrun games, you had, of course, both Pillars games, you had... Um, well, those are the CRPGs. I was talking more about like the Bioware-style Western RPG. Oh, yeah, which I, I guess, yeah. Used to be, and I guess, you, I know you had like, you had like Wasteland 3 a few years back, but yeah, 2020, 2021, 2022, and I'm sure we're missing one. If your favorite Western RPG came, in, came out in 2021, uh, remind us. But it just seems like it's been quieter on that front uh, mm -hmm. for the last couple of years. And now it feels like with Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield, which people are kind of like oddly like pinning against each other, even though I feel like they're very different sorts of games, despite both being Western RPGs. Uh, feels like I don't think it really does them a lot of service to pin them against each other, but people will. But um, finally feels like we're kind of back in that space. And of course, I know like Bioware has had some momentum for their new dragon age Dreadwolf and whatever the mass effect project is but still a few years out from that well, and mean, then of course avowed and um in exile's new game yeah etc i think it's just like the, this year has like just seems like a very strong year for western rpgs like just for big significant ones like even outside of like star upcoming starfield and Baldur's gate you have redmond 2 jagged alliance 3 diablo mm -hmm. I mean, Diablo has some issues. I mean, uh, yeah, arguably Diablo, Diablo is a big Western RPG. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't deny it. Yeah, so. for sure. You know, but like, not really a RPG, but like Jedi Survivor. You know, it is. It is sort of funny that I know the PC release of Baldur's Gate is next week, but then like you have Baldur's Gate is sort of a PlayStation exclusive as far as consoles go, and then Starfield is an Xbox exclusive. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that really matters, but I'm sure there'll be. Somewhere on the corner of the internet, some they'll both be installed on a PC, and then yeah. I'll be like, "Oh God, these are going to take a hundred hours to fucking get through." <laughs> yeah, I, I will be. I'll be trying to like, like, how hyped are you for Baldur's Gate three? Like, I am excited to play Baldur's Gate three, but also like, God, this is going to take hundred fifty hours. Yeah, for me. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll definitely play it like you know in spurts, but I'm not going to be marathoning it like something. Like, I have friends like I have like a four or five day weekend plan just from like Godspeed, dude. <laughs> yeah. 
like I'm almost looking else at like what else is coming out in August, and I'm like, man, what am I what am I gonna have to ignore? If I want to get through Baldur's Gate, and uh, no, I'm sorry, but like yeah, Baldur's Gate and Starfield die as soon as Arbor Core comes out for me. Those uh, games are on the. Uh, I'm dropping both of them for a good bit, and just my well, whole Core is before Starfield, so yeah, yeah. But well, I'm not touching Starfield until I have my Armored Core fill. I man, I I need <laughs> it. The, 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 there were there were previews, uh, including us, that came out this week, and I've just been digesting a lot of Armored Core info, like. Everything I've been reading and seeing, I'm like, you need it. And now I guess we will pivot to the game that I added to the list very late. Uh, this game that I brought up to Chow earlier and didn't know what it was. You have listed here, Chow, two games, Detention yeah. and Lost Epic. Uh, Detention is a side-scroller horror point-and-click adventure game. Um... How do I describe this game? It's made by a Taiwanese studio called uh, Red Candle Games. Uh, there was also, I think, Play Playism did like some of the the Western release. I think. Oh, I remember. I remember hearing about this game because of um, what was it? The like because they're Taiwanese and they had like Taiwanese uh, support. They were their games were like delisted in China or something like that. Well, this, well, like this story has a lot to do with like, um, was it like communism era? Uh, where mm -hmm. like, okay, so uh, in the setting here, it's basically during the White Terror. If you if you're familiar with um, Asian history, this is like um, after the Chinese Civil War. Um, was it the people that okay, like the the side that lost became Taiwan. And during that time, uh, you'll be, if you have any like uh, communist type views, the secret police is going to go after you and they're going to execute you or beat the shit out of, out of you until you confess that you're a communist. Basically um, it it's in that era, basically. Adam and, uh, and Cho, I kind of, I did, I, re, I, pu I pulled it up and now it's ringing a bell. Adam, you're almost right. So the same developers re released a game called Devotion, which was removed from Steam, but they were, also had detention. Like they made detention preceded that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten that too, but it is ringing a bell now that I kind of read back up on it. All right. Continue, Joe. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, so it, it takes place in that era and it comes a very key element in this story. Um, this this game is very simple, very short. Um, you could probably beat it in one sitting, which I did with, with a friend, because <laughs> he basically told me to play this because we're gonna play an old PS One game and try to understand if there was any inspired elements from that PS One game. Which PS One game? Uh, it's called Twilight Syndrome. That brings up actually. It's, it's not Edward Cullen, guys. This is way before. Oh, <laughs> way Twilight. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it, it, that is also like a side scroller, um, kind of like horror game, and okay. you know it's old when you get uh, was it Kiku, uh, Kiku go um, Inui as the main character as the voice actress, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh -huh. uh, but yeah, it's like it's also like a side scroller horror that takes place in in high school, and and we just want and he's like, oh, you should play Detention. It's like maybe we. We get some uh, ideas from it. And yeah, this game was actually like great. Um, I don't want to spoil too much details in the story because the key element is the story of this game. But how the story is told is very vague. 
and you don't really have all the plot elements. But I was able to, it was told simple enough that you were able to get like 90% of it right. Because when I, I, like after I finished the game, I read the wiki, I'm like, oh, I got basically all the details right. Even though they barely tell you anything, it's just like little words and, and a lot of things are just done through symbolism. Kind of like, um, and I, I hate doing that comparison, you know, everything's comparing to Dark Souls now, where where the story doesn't tell you, like, straight up, and then at the end you try to piece things together, and depending on how much you make that connection, it's kind of like how much your understanding of the story is. And... Well, the, the, the fact that you're using it, Dark Souls, as a comparison based on the way it delivers its story, I think is a little bit less trite of a comparison rather than just, like, stamina-based action gameplay. You mean basically like snipping or like piecing together different like lore snippets or things you read and yeah uh, maybe environmental storytelling into like oh okay here's the actual plot of the game not pulled to me you know explicitly yeah that's how the game goes um like it, it starts out like really strange you play as this this guy and he falls asleep in class then he wakes up and the school has completely changed trans was it transforms this nightmarish kind of setting. It, it it's like it starts to rain blood. It starts to do this, and starting to see like ghosts. Like it, it just gets all fucked up. And then, and he finds a girl, and then he wakes her up, and suddenly like the story will change into her perspective, and she will be the protagonist from now on. And that guy is no longer there. And there's like the horror elements is, is kind of there, but it's not like. I feel like every chapter the gameplay is kind of different. Like it starts out like a kind of like a, a horror game at the first two chapters, and the last two chapters is just like a straight up puzzle game. Over and the el- like the horror elements all disappeared, right? Uh, I mean, it's still scary, but it's less focused on the horror. It's it's kind of like focused on on the protagonist's mental state, which is the girl that uh, you switch your point of view with later on, like just after a prologue. And yeah, like the story is is the best part of this game, but yet I don't really want to like reveal too much details of the story. It's like it will probably ruin the experience if I like, yeah, tell you exactly yeah, what don't, don't, yeah, don't talk. The, 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 don't, tell, don't tell us the story just in case. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it uh, game that came out like what? And for people, six years. Want... It's like six years ago. Yeah, almost. Yeah, almost. for people want to check it out, just you know, go check it out. So it sounds, yeah. sounds pretty interesting. I, I think it's a, it's pretty like for me, it's a pretty interesting like point of like uh, you're using this like sort of like an anchor point before you go to the dive into Twilight Syndrome on PS One and seeing like hey, you know like kind of kind of doing your own investigation of like where uh, were there elements here that like that the developers of the uh, detention shared or like that they potentially look into Twilight Syndrome first before developing this game. I think that's a pretty interesting like way to go about it like um like twilight syndrome uh we haven't like completely started twilight syndrome yet but uh that that's uh, developed by uh was it human entertainment spike yeah i'm not oh, sure if yeah. you can this is like is that like spike chunsoft before they start doing danka robot games really yeah that, that was very very early for them yeah, yeah. So, so it's an earlier project from them so but we'll we'll be interested to check it out to see where where it goes because like we're just going through a whole process of playing visual novels right now. So 
Um, the other... album, White album's almost out too, Chow. It's around the corner. Don't worry, I'll, I'll finish that. Even though I don't really like the first one that much. All I care is about <laughs> the second one. I was just buying it so the second one could come out. So yeah, you, you also were playing another game, Lost Epic. And this is like a, a indie game, like a side-scrolling action indie game that like, it was an early access for quite a bit and then they finally released it in, in uh, its full release like, I, I think last year? I forget. Yeah, last year, July. And then they made like several... Like they take in community feedback and improve the game, and then they did their like like release around April for like like mainstream consoles like Switch and like uh, PS5 and stuff. Yeah, That's... this is um the oh this is the the team behind what were they, like Earth Earth Wars, right? I'm not quite sure who the team is behind it. Okay, uh, so yeah, Team Earth Vars or Earth Wars or something. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was sort of like also also like a side scrolling action game uh, too. But that was like released way way like uh, several years ago. Yeah, I I actually never heard of that one, but maybe I should check that one out too. I I, I think it's one of those things that like it got like a rename, like it was Earth's Dawn or Earth Wars before, and then Earth's Dawn, and because there's some copyright issue with this with the name, so it gets all wonky with the name. But yeah, the, this one actually been like. I, I never got around to it. I would like to, but like, tell me how it is. Like, uh, what, okay, what's so, up with Lost Epic? So, Lost Epic is basically what if you took Odin Sphere and make it a Dark Souls game? Okay. Um, <laughs> Dark Souls game. Yeah, I know, I know. I hate this comparison, but <laughs> this like game has. <laughs> Don't worry. Soon we'll compare it all to uh, Lords of the Fallen. Soon we'll compare it all to Armored Core. Okay. There you go. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I I have become official game journalist now. When you compare everything to Dark Souls, there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, all right, so yeah, but but when I saw when I see footage of this game, I think of like a almost like a VanillaWare game. Yeah, so. uh, basically, in the beginning of the game, you create an avatar, or not exactly an avatar. You play this shadowy figure to do this tutorial on the combat, and then after the combat's over, uh, you're you get to create an avatar and like how the character is dressed or like the armor that you equip is how your character appearance will look like so every care every item that you find in this game will change your character's appearance right um it's always fun and the the other thing is that uh you also get to set the voice of the character that you're playing i think one of the thing that pisses off people in this game is that if you collect a certain amount of spirits your character voice changes for some reason i think it's oh. part of lore reasons okay. <laughs> that helps a lot of people like i like I like the voice, the way I said it to it. <laughs> you suddenly just that's, that's, it. A per, that's a pretty funny like twist on these. Where like you'd pick a voice, but then over time, because of narrative reasons, your voice changes. And huh. yeah, this is kind of the thing that pisses off the community. It's like, is there a way that I could change back the voice or something? It's like because this is not what I what was my intention, right? Huh. Okay. Uh, but anyways, uh, after you create your avatar, it's like um, you get like kind of like a lord dump from this witch, which tells you like, kind of like, you must go kill the gods or something, uh, because they basically drained all the resources of this world that they live in, and then and then the game just kind of starts up from there, and it has like nothing but like Dark Souls systems, like if you die, like all like the gems that you collected, which is used for leveling up purposes, and unlocking other stuff, is like, it's gone where to the last place where you died, so you had to run back and collect them Mm-hmm. And Other campfires that respawn enemies, and you can also use them there. And then there's also like a you have like healing flasks that you can re, that you refill at these campfires. 
Well, it, you don't get healing flask. Uh, you get to make potions with your EXP points, or whatever the gems is called. And then uh, you save by finding like a like a statue of like a, like one of god goddess statues, I think. And you get its blessing to level up, but that's where you also save it as well. That, that so, was stolen from Zelda. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Damn. Game ripped off every. Uh, but the leveling up system is like, um, was it? It kind of reminds me of FF12 with the license board. It's like you get this giant, like kind of like a sphere grid looking board thing, and you level up, and then you could go to that point into end the book, which raises stats. And and there is also like secret like monuments that you can find that would unlock certain parts of the board, and that will let you access like later on places or places that you revisit later on. Like, let's just say there's a wall that you can't break. If you find a monument to get this, like, uh, passive ability, that lets your skills to, like, break it, right? Like, stuff like that. And what was the other thing with this game is the combat feels kind of easy, in, in my opinion. It's like, every time, uh, what is it, you get a divine... It's not like Dark Souls. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe you might be a Dark Souls master. Who knows? I, I don't know, but, like... Like the combat is like every time when you fight like a monster, right? There is like if they use like a, a special ability, there is either a red exclamation mark or or a yellow one. If it's a yellow one, you can use your divine skill to like counter it. And when you counter it, they they're like temporary sket stagger, and you can like kind of like backstab them, right? Sort sort of thing. Like you know, like all oh, the backstab, you you see your character like front stab, and the sound effects are like so over the top. So it's like you're like spamming this nonstop, and you're like not sure if you did the parry correctly or you're just like it's a stat. Yeah, easy this to this sort of off. mechanic you've seen before, where it's like certain abilities have a tell that you can counter, and then there's certain abilities that are basically just like you cannot counter this, so you better get out of the way. So. Yeah, but just like <laughs> John <Sekiro>? from Software, <laughs> just like Sekiro. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's like I, I think it's pretty good. Um, I'm not saying it's like perfect at all. It's like it's definitely, uh, it's definitely like good from what I experienced for the first couple hours. Um, what was the other thing I, I tried to remember in the game? Soundtrack's great. I I didn't have a pr problem with the soundtrack. Uh, it does get a little kind of confusing on what to do because since this is kind of like a you know it's a small indie title, so if you ever get lost in this game, there's Hardly any guides on this game because no one really did much guides to cover this game. Well, I mean, uh, you could be you could be that person, Zhao. No, I. I, <laughs> I, I <laughs> no. Saying, why, why was it always me? I mean, when I think of someone who like steps up to the plate for uh, playthroughs and you know FAQs and everything. Damn. Mm -hmm. like, I, Chow, did you cover Kuro? Am I gonna have a guide uh, to follow when that comes out? I did write a cruel guide. Uh -huh. Thank you. It's under NDA, so I already broke NDA by saying that I did. Nice. Oh, uh, well, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> if you need me to sniff this out, let me know. <laughs> no one listens to us anyway. No worries. They'll never okay. know. Your secret safe. Anyways, Lost Epic. No guides exist. There's an opportunity there. Yeah, you can, you can always pitch a chow. <laughs> no. Not now. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, do you recommend this for people who don't like Dark Souls? Yes, because okay. it's about Dark Souls. Okay. It's more old and than Dark Souls. 
Uh, this also has co-op, right? You can play like with yeah, yeah. Uh, there's co-op, but uh, okay. I haven't tried the co-op function. I just heard in the internet it's uh, from my reading the form it is extremely fun to do co-op in this game, but uh-huh. to get it working is a different issue. So okay. it's like it's always like, oh, can I find the players to help me? It's like, no, no. It's like, if it does, it's like, yeah, it's great, but uh that's kind of like what I got from the forums from from the people that used it. It works when it works. Did you finish this or uh, still working through it? Yeah, I'm still working through it. I heard it's not too, and I heard it's not too long. I heard the game's only about ten hours long compared to like some other games that I know. Uh, these days it's like it's good to have a ten hour game, not like yep. dealing with 150 hours RPGs all the time. I want I want I want I want a ten hour Baldur's Gate game. Oh, dude, don't say that. People would get so pissed. Holy shit. Oh, look, I'm still too traumatized about playing Persona 5 for a guide and beating it four times. And this is. Oh, that, that's. Yeah. That's, 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 a bad, that's a bad way to go. I have Persona 5 perpetually installed on my PC. Eventually this is why I still refuse I to touch Boyle. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll start it up when they announce Persona 6. Like, all right, now it's time. <laughs> Understand no, Persona 6. no, no! You can't make Persona Six until there's a Persona Five fighting game, okay? Oh. Mm, I don't know. Maybe they make a spin-off of Persona Four of everything until they ran out ideas. Like we can't make any more spin-offs. Well, we Persona Four, yeah, Persona Four never got a tactical RPG. Checkmate. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. But okay. yeah, I, I agree. With, I agree with the sentiment that yes, and twenty-hour RPGs are great. Or even just games in general. I should expand my horizons and play fewer RPGs. How long do you think Armored Core Six will be? Uh, oh, depends. Actually, like it, it depends on what you want from it, right? Like, are you are you are you doing it for like just one playthrough, or are you actually gonna do like uh, are you gonna do like a, another playthrough to like see other scenarios that you didn't see before? Are you trying to collect all the parts? Uh, I remember the old games. It's like if you beat it and do New Game Plus, like you get to replay all the levels, and they have like different pilots and level layouts. So it's like almost a different game in all the uh-huh. Yeah, I so forgot what actually... preview I saw, but um, some preview was saying that like Armored Core Six has sorties. I don't know if they're called sorties in game that are like two to four minutes long, and that was strange. But I'm trying to remember. I've played Four Answer, and I've played one of the Armored Core 2s, and, like, yeah, a couple of the a couple of the sorties were just, like, two minutes long. Like, some of them were just, go like here and destroy Uh Just the, the, the entire little mission was just, like, oh, go stages. here. Yeah, yeah. Like, not all of them. There were, like, a good variety of them. Some of them were, like, you go through this labyrinth, and you fight a mech at the end. But some of them were just, like, go here and destroy ten anti-aircraft guns. And then you do that, and if you're, you know, good, or if your kid is good, you might be able to finish that in like two minutes, and like yeah, that's just remember, kind of that's just kind of. I like remember specifically Armored Core to Another Age. If I remember correctly, it had like two hundred missions, and yeah, some of them were longer, but out of those missions, some of them were just bite sized like go here to, to, to defeat a thing, and it only took like three minutes. Yeah, that, that, that's how the, yeah that's how, how the how those games are, and, and of course like time factors into it because like you, you like you'll sometimes you'll get new parts for like S ranking missions, so like. Doing them like you're incentivized to do them fast because a lot mm-hmm. of like the uh, the rankings uh, are factor in time completion, so you you'll want to be efficient like getting through them too. On top of that, um, yeah, man, I can't wait. <laughs> but yes, all right. So I don't know, like maybe I will look at Lost Epic. Um, 
But it goes on sale. How often does it go on sale? Do you know? It, it's on sale right now. That's why I got it. It was like ten bucks. I was like, okay, I'll give a shot. You're, you're, you're a liar. I'm on. I'm on a Steam page. It's not on sale. You just probably got it after the Steam sale. I bought. It, I bought it on PS5 actually. Oh, okay, never. Mind. But so, maybe uh, you could get on the Switch. Maybe you could buy it on Switch too. There, I mean, there's no, the there's no There's no. There's no crossplay. I can't play with you. Yeah. I mean, this is not like a like like a big game. I doubt it has crossplay. All right, so that's the the detention and lost epic. Well, what are you looking forward forward to? Are you gonna play, like are you are you actually looking forward to like a new game or are you gonna stick with like uh? I'm gonna play old games. So after I'm done with this, I am gonna play a game. Uh, was it? I am gonna ask my friend to translate this visual novel while he's playing it <laughs> because he forced me to play. Uh, detention, so I'm going to force him to play like a 20-hour visual novel instead <laughs> during translation while well, watching him play. Is this like, like you guys like, like challenge each other? It's like, oh yeah, you made me play this, I'm going to make you play this. Is this like an ongoing thing? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to make him play a, a visual novel called Dokoku Soshite, uh, which is translated as crying, and that's basically the translation for it. you never heard um, of it. Okay, it's a Data East visual novel. Okay, Have you ever well, heard Data yeah, East? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. I, I think this is one of the few visual novels they ever made, and it is for um, it's for Sega Saturn, and then there is also a Vita port. The Vita oh. port has more content, while the Saturn version is the original. Um, basically, it's like Saul. I think I think Saul is like the best way to describe this game. It's like. Okay. Basically, what happens? The main character gets on the bus with his classmates, and it crashes, and he wakes up in an abandoned mansion, and the, all his friends are missing. He's trying to find his friends, and depending on how you solve the puzzles, um, was it you could save your friends? And there's like a couple multiple solutions, and depending on what solution you use to solve the puzzle, is like how the roots split in this game. Okay, that's right? interesting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, apparently there's some kind of serial murder killing people, and you're trying to save your friends in this abandoned woods, and that's kind of like the game. And we're like, yeah, we like horror, so we're gonna play this game to see where it goes. I, I'm also considering uh, picking up a visual novel as well. I'm still thinking of like I'm gonna get the the what, what they call it, the shell, uh, Shirovune's release of Kara no Shoujo. Um, I'm still thinking about maybe getting that. Hmm. Chow, are you Chow, are you going to play any new game this year other than the official re-release of in English of White Album? Uh, are you, you going to play that, or are you just going to buy it and support it? I'll, I'll buy it and support it, but I'll try to play it and beat it because I know the first one just uh, just like whatever. <laughs> it kind of that, that's like my experience of it. Okay, okay, maybe maybe I'll play it just to hear Aya Hirano talking to me, maybe. She does play the main actor, main character in this this game. Well, um, have you have you tried out the the Grand Blue versus Rising? No, beta? I didn't get I didn't get to the beta. I, I, no, I, it's I, open beta right now. Like it's available to everyone. There was there, there was there was an early access period. They gave codes out, and then la- starting last night, since this recording, they they opened it up to everyone. Like, but there's only but it's still only through certain time slots. I, I better not play the beta because. Uh, That'll like kind of confuse you how the final product turns out because a lot of the times when you play the beta, it's like they use a different system. Like I would be like lingering nonstop after the beta. It'll be like me playing Street Fighter Five when it first came out. How Karen is like ten times more broken than the final release, and and then I'm just dreading over it. Like how dare they fucking nerf her, <laughs> even though she's already broken. But 
<laughs> the beta version's even more broken. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking maybe I'll, I'll I'll wait till the final release too because like uh, it's it's I feel like at at this point a lot of people are like kind of not satisfied with how the the beta has been going. Yeah, I was like, gonna I ask know, you, like, Josh, upset. because I'm I saw sorry. I saw you I saw Josh sharing some people's impressions of it's um Grand Blue versus rising is that it yeah, it's like the yeah. it's like an it's like an expansion added roster new characters and it's a, like, it's, like a, it's, a, it's basically a sequel like it's not it's not like a dlc thing it's actually like an awful follow-up i believe gotcha. to the base game but i've just uh, seen as someone who's not in the fighting game sphere and not in the grand blue sphere the impressions that you've shared like in our discord seem kind of lukewarm like eh, this doesn't feel that great and I just wanted to, if you had gone hands on, I was going to ask. You I, I, yeah, I, was. I, 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 I don't know yet. I don't know if I'm going to do it or right. not because, like, because like I'm doing other stuff this weekend. And I was like, eh, I maybe should just wait like, for release. It's very hard to convince me to play it at this point because it's like, wow, Street Fighter Six is exists. That, that, that's that's the thing, right? Like, like if I think about playing, I'm like, I'd rather play Street Fighter instead if I'm going to play a fighting game right now because I, I, like, like the 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 prospect when I think about why like. But, Play Street Fighter Six. I want to like. I genuinely like. You know, get excited to play it again. You know, and with Grand Blue, it's like sure they they. I, I hear the netcode's way better, obviously, but like, there's a lot of like systems to like or changes to its like fighting system that like ki- kind of waters it down from like what what was there before. It's like, how, like I, I think they it. nailed the game in the very first version of it. And it just keeps getting worse over time because they just make the characters more nerf, more unfun, and then it just keeps piling up every single patch. So eventually your character feels gimped just for balance sakes. And I don't really like that approach to the game. It's kind of like Diablo 4 season, like the new yeah, season that yeah. came out. God, where they just dude, nerf everything that's so fun. Bad. I hate, oh my god, season one's so bad. And then you're like, oh, this is just for balance sake. And now you, you waste more of our time and just it's so funny it's so funny that like everyone every single fucking diablo 4 player or anyone who's like making content for diablo 4 like they, they are they're all just watching ExileCon going on this weekend which is like a, the 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 convention in new zealand for the path of exile and everything they've been showing about like path of exile 2 has been like really good and it's like fuck man <laughs> at least like at least like you know the, these developers get it you know, but yeah. The, the one thing I saw about Path of Exile 2, first of, first of all, I thought that this was already the plan, but I guess they recently like reestablished that this was the plan, is that like Path of Exile 2 will ex- co- in- coexist alongside Path of Exile 1 because they realize, you know, they have lots of people who have developed communities and, you know. No, really... I think the original plan was literally it would be like a big update to Path of Exile 1. That was the original plan. would yeah. be Path okay. of Exile 2. So it would have been like, all Path of Exile one games would become two. Gotcha. Yeah, that was the original plan. So this, this having it, having them coexist, is new as of this month. Yes, uh, which yeah, I think that's... is really like that's really. I think a few games have done similar things. Like, I guess Overwatch is gonna do that. I don't know. Overwatch is in a strange place because they keep changing the plan on what Overwatch two is gonna be, but uh. I, in general, I think that's really neat that they kind of recognize that they don't want to take Path of Exile one from people who have grown to love it, uh, and they if they have the resources to support both games, uh, put more power to who them. As someone who doesn't play either game, I saw that. that so they're, headline, they're actually being very really very smart about it. So, like aside from being two separate products, like microtransactions are shared between both games. So, any cosmetics that you got, the stash tabs that you got, they're going to be shared across both games. So wow, that's, uh, so a, the, that's a good so, system. So the, that, that's really cool. 
um the way that they're structuring like like ongoing support for both games is really smart like say they start up a new uh like a new update for um path of exile to like the new content update like that the like that that'll run its course for like several weeks then af- after like uh, like say that lasts for six weeks you know then like say um like three three weeks after that initial period um or like or sorry it's like like seven or eight weeks after like that uh update comes out then they'll do like um a, a new league for like path of exile one so they're gonna like 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 flip-flop between releases in terms of like their, their updates where it's gonna be like a substantial content update for like two then following that after like a certain amount of time it's gonna be back to one so you can continue playing the content update for two or if you want to play more path of exile one you can go back there but they won't like overlap it into each other and you have you feel or like you know overwhelmed that like you might be falling behind on one and if you're not doing the other at the same time so that that's where that's the kind of their their current plans or their thinking of like how they're gonna um do a, like a staggered approach to both games because supporting both games and their content updates um the path of exile 2 like one of the like the, the when they're showing off a demo for it one of the big things it's not it sounds weird to say there's like a new big thing but like they're they had they're having a dodge roll in it um which is like you know there's no cooldown on the dodge roll you can use the dodge roll freely like you know to cancel out uh your skills um it's like it's like projectile and melee involved but you can still get the hit out of it like if you like if you hit if you get hit something by that like it's not those properties um one of the really really crazy things they're doing with path of exile 2 is that um your character has like let's say like you're a wizard class or like a, a sorcerer class and you have like an ice build and a fire build you can actually toggle between those uh once you use a weapon skill from those things so instead of building up one skill tree you're actually building up two skill trees per character depending on the build that you want them to go so it's like almost like a dual spec on the fly during combat so like you can have like a like a like a a damage build and like a melee fi- or a, ma- a magic find build, you know, on on the same character, and like and and you access the access them through weapon skills, and that and that's just like like and then and like, like the cooldown is basically you taking out the other weapon, for it. Oh, cool, <laughs> that's the first time I heard that. It's yeah, so they so they have a lot of really interesting ideas uh, and uh, and their approach to it, and you know, and, and and the path of exile community and like the way those games are, it's like it's very complex. Uh, and very like, if you're into action RPGs, this kind of like almost the holy grail for you, like, like tweaking numbers, tweaking stats, and like uh, exploring build variety and so forth. So like, I'm not a big Path of Exile player. Like, I'm not one at all. Um, I, I have played a, it I, during launch. I I backed the Kickstarter. I think mm-hmm. the Kickstarter. Oh, okay. I backed that and I played it for a little bit. I'm like, yeah, this is cool, but it's very early access at that point. So I'm yeah, like, so it's, yeah. It's always, I just yeah, kind of forgot about the game, but but everyone keeps speaking highly of it every time yeah like I have, I have friends who like who like have played it for a decade like straight up literally a decade you know very loyal players and they're very their understanding is very very you know they're very hardcore players in it so like a lot of like what i know about it is through, through them um but i'm i'm really interested like you know I, I feel like at this point for i can't i can't my brain can't wrap wrap itself around like you know path of exile one but I think with Path of Exile 2, I'll try to make like you know a, a real effort to like you know try to understand and get into Path of Exile 2 because it's basically a whole new game. Everyone's kind of starting out like you know from 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 the ground up, and yeah, it's uh, the, what I've been seeing 
and everything they've been showing about Path of Exile 2, it's like, fuck, man. This is, like, this looks so much better than what the Apple 4 is going for it. Like, dear, dear God. I feel kind of silly, but I did not realize, I'm uh, Googling it now, that Path of Exile was crowdfunded. Like, oh, yeah. I was. Uh, yeah. I would never imagine. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they've come a really long way, so. It's cool. I think, um, I'll be attending PAX West uh, next uh, in early September, and I think they'll be showing off Path of Exile 2 there, so I might be able to get hands-on with it, uh, you know, soon enough, and really interested to see how that goes. And, and the demo the build, that the build that they are they have at ExileCon right now, they're bringing to PAX West, and that build looks fucking hard. Like, people, like, experienced players, like, actually just, like, regularly die there. And they're, like, and they're like, they even told, like, people who, like, attend that con who are, like, already loyal Path of Exile hardcore players. They're like, yeah, just don't be surprised if like you just like get blown up like after seeing like the first enemies that you see. You know, it's like a totally new, different game. The way you play it is different. Like, just don't be surprised that like, hey, I just even having all this knowledge like uh, with my like beneath my de- my belt, I might just you know, I might just die still. <laughs> have you, you know? ever been? To, have you been to Pax West before? Just curious. No, I've never been there. So yeah, I was I was yeah, I was last there in like 2016, which part of my brain was like just a few years ago. I'm like, oh wait, that's like seven years ago. <laughs> uh one not this year, but maybe next year I'll I'll head back there. Yeah. So so yeah, I'm, um, yeah, excited for that. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad even though even though none of us here can speak directly to Path of Exile um as like a consistent player. I just I did want to just bring it up that I saw a couple of those headlines. People seem really excited about the work that they're that they're doing over there. Yeah, they've been they've been killing it. You know that I, I it's really it's really crazy to see how far the Path of Exile developers have come and like really like like that that game the the first Path of Exile has always got consistent support like through thick and thin and like it, that that just um really changed up the game. Like like I was watching Exile Con with like my friends yesterday and like the new like league update for path of exile one coming like has like a new like mode or it's like the like the league mechanic like turns out like almost like an like an auto chess game you know and like one, one of the past leagues like sanctum a lot of them really really got into it because it was like they had added like a roguelike uh mode to it that was like very rewarding in, in the way that like it, how you experimented build variety uh, through it and like it, it did so well that they're adding that um, uh, mechanic into the core game now as a permanent thing, but like, but it's more expanded, you know, more expanded upon. And there, a lot of them are very, very, very happy about that and the way that they're not only just like implementing it into the core game, but like all the ways they're they're expanding it and tweaking it like in smart ways, you know. It's it's just like it's very much like a developer that like understands their community and what they they know how to um, build their game. And ExileCon has been like a lot of fun to watch too because I've been watching like the developer panels with them and like they have like panels of like just like the animators are like yeah this like uh, this is like they have like a new mocap uh, uh, way that they're building out animations of Path of Exile too and then speaking about them and then like one of, like some of the longtime animators of Path of Exile one it's like yeah man uh, all the work I fucking did for Path of Exile one like. It, it looks so bad to me compared to like what I've been doing for uh, Path of Exile too. Like they're just showing off like characters and moves and their animations, and they all look like really crunchy and satisfying. And them getting really giddy about the work that they've been building for years. It's like that's that's so fucking awesome. It looks so cool. One thing that I do think that I, I haven't been watching ExileCon the way you've described it is that when um, 
when developers have like this opportunity to show people who are loyal followers of their like of their product and they're not afraid to have it be a little bit raw in terms of like showing unfinished work this is a bit strange but i was actually um watching a and i'm just using this tangent to to kind of just illustrate the point i was watching a of all things the the sims 4 like developer like stream and they were showing some new update to the sims 4 where they were like adding horses to the game and they were mm-hmm. showing like all the model and animation work that they're doing with people like getting on the horses and like all the fans being like hell yeah horses or whatever and just like there's <laughs> something that's so like different about like a developer knowing what their audience wants being able to show it even if it's like a work in progress even if it's like doesn't have quite the same sheen to it that it would in like a formal like press conference or nintendo direct but knowing that they have like the built up the goodwill with their audience because they've been you know consumer focused in terms of knowing who they um who they're who they're trying to like what they're developing the game for and like what they're why they put all the time and effort into it and knowing yeah that's the whole reason we're deciding to support path of xl1 in addition to path of xl2 is because we know that this is what our fans want uh and it's just there's just something refreshing about that to to know that people are tuning into this and uh, being just really excited about all the work that's going on in a venue that's kind of very explicitly made for them. So I just think that that's just neat in, in concept. Yeah, that that's always been like my favorite like sorts of events that like uh, like when you're kind of like holding a public event is like like actually getting like the people who are working like uh, boots on the ground uh, and like and actually showing off like things that like are in their fields. Like you know we're talking like an, like animation people ta- talking about like the animation work that they did. Or like the the people in the writing process talking about you know the, the story that they wrote. Like I know there was a panel for like the uh, FF14 fan fest that like talk about like you know that specialized in Endwalkers and like the and uh, and getting to like having a whole panel just about the narrative of Endwalkers mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know establishing what they want to do with that story, their their thoughts, their uh, philosophy behind it, and kind of establishing that trust with their fan base. You know that like one that they experienced that, that and like read. And like have a have a good understanding of like you know what the experience through it like that's really cool like you know getting getting to see to see like you know beyond uh beyond what you what you just played like getting to like know like the, the human story behind and creating that um sort of uh the process behind it's always been a, like one of the most the best things about like the video game industry in my opinion just like the the kind of the human story behind how these things come together has always been really really compelling So we kind of tangented over into um, a Path of Exile Con out of Chao's discussion with both Detention and Lost Epic. But now I think we basically covered pretty much everything that everyone's been playing over the last couple of weeks. I didn't really have a section because I spent the week wrapping up uh, like Tears of the Kingdom and uh, Dragon Quest Treasures, both of which are games that I've already had a chance to talk about previously. But we'll go into August. Obviously, we'll spend a good chunk of time next week, presumably, talking about uh, Baldur's Gate 3. That reminds me, I should ping in our Discord and see if we have any on, anyone else on staff who's typically not on the podcast, if they're interested in trying that game and talking about it on the podcast. So I'll make a note to myself to ask for that, just to see if anyone else wants to jump on and discuss that game next week. 
And with that, we'll go into kind of the news front here. Uh, the news front is going to be a little bit quieter. And like I kind of stated earlier, a lot of this is kind of embargoes that have lifted over the last few uh, days and some previews and some reviews. So at the very least, I figured I can at least kind of give each of these articles a, a shout out, um, even if we don't have the um, the first-hand experience to go into each of these in depth. First of all, the ones that we've kind of already talked about, uh, Josh did put up a written review for Arcadian Atlas, which is the indie uh, tactical RPG that we opened up this podcast with. Um, Josh, you did also write up a review on Remnant 2, which you and James kind of discussed at length last week. Mm -hmm. uh, here's just an opportunity here if you want to have like 60 seconds about your written thoughts or if they just kind of mirror the things that you talked about last week with uh, with James. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, uh, I don't really have anything new to say about Remnant 2. It, it's an awesome game. It's been really fun to like uh, follow the community for that game because there's still secrets in that game that the community has been working towards. Like they finally found like one of like the the most secret archetypes uh, or classes in that game. Like James was talking about like a, a red door in the labyrinth uh, level in that game that like no one knew how the fuck they the, to open it and the community finally find it found it. And it's it's pretty interesting because that that was like. That would the, like the way to find that um the, that out like that uh, new archetype out like the developers intentionally uh made it obtuse in a way that like they were anticipating the community to data mine the game to find out how you um unlocked it and that's like kind of the intended method to find out how to unlock this is through data mining the game as a community together. I'm like wow that's that's really fucking crazy <laughs> you know, that they would go, you would plan that out actually. <laughs> so that that's been a lot of fun. I, I want to see like what skills that new archetype has that they uncovered. I go ask my friends who are much, much more hardcore, um, how that's shaping up. So that's, you know, uh, ongoing, you know, the community continues to like, uh, discover new things about that game. Even, even uh, with players putting hundreds and hundreds of hours into it already, it's like, okay, what else does the game have? It's like, that's such a cool thing about the games as a community together to like in that in that phase like in any game you know where before like 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 guides of like knowing everything about the game is already has like that discovery phase like that game is like is built around that like of the community having this discovery phase together it is always exciting a bit of a tangent that's related to that um i was looking i was mentioning all the games or not all some of the games that i still have installed on my steam account and one of those games is Elden Ring because of the announced uh, expansion, whose expansion I'm blanking on right at the moment. They've given it nothing more than a title, but uh, Legend of the Erd Tree, something like that. But Shadow of the Erd Tree or something. Shadow of the Erd Tree, that's it. But when I, I had the opportunity, you know, graciously to play that game pre-release. Uh, I reviewed it. And at the time, of course, there was no... No wiki, no extra life, no for all the work that they do, they do tons of great, you know, encyclopedic work over there. But there was something about like not having any sort of community, anything when playing through that game, of everything just being complete discovery, where it's it almost feels kind of sad in a way. Where if I were to like replay Elden Ring, I only ever got the basic ending. I didn't get any of the secret endings. Where it's like, oh, I can just kind of look this up now, and it's all like encyclopedically documented about exactly what all the quests are, what all the triggers are. So there's something about the way you've described this kind of um, communal discovery of this archetype in Remnant Two, like before it's all documented. Playing a game before it's all like distilled down on the internet and like into these like wiki pages and guides. That kind of you can't recreate once it's there unless you have like the willpower just to determine not to look at them 
sort of thing. Yeah, uh, which might which might be a little bit easier in a single player game like Elden Ring versus a multiplayer game like Remnant. Um, but yeah, that's what it made you think of when you were the way you're describing that uh, recent finding. Yeah, it's 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 always hard to because like it's it's getting harder harder to find that uh, sort of experience uh, these days because like as soon as day one like when a game hits like a lot of people have already played it before release and because of like how the internet is structured now and how you know people people are always well what what traffic's well on the internet will be like you know those guides to finding the secrets and knowing everything day one and like you do lose a lot of like that the, the mystic aspect of games of like discovering it on your own you can you can you can do it yourself and like intentionally not seek those out for sure but like it, it it felt it felt more magical when like no like no one had that capability you know or like had very limited mm-hmm. capability to do that uh gonna sound no. very like millennial of me but like going to <laughs> going, going to like a lunch counter with your with your friends in middle school or high school and discussing these things uh mm-hmm. like yeah of course you, you did have like Game facts existed back then, but it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. You could shoot with surf, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you look under the truck, and you'll, you'll I, I find unknown. The 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 rumor when I was in like fifth or sixth grade was, if you put a level ninety nine Pikachu in the uh-huh. daycare and waited until it got to level one hundred, it would turn into Pika Blue. Pika Blue, of <laughs> course, just Pika Blue, of course, just being like some magazine scan of of Meryl from the like second gen of pokemon who is not pika blue but a different pokemon entirely anyways uh if you're if you're younger than 30 uh this is what you've got to avoid by being born after us uh, man i've been trolled online trying to do the mew trick <laughs> oh dude good. it's so good yeah like that like those are my favorite eras of the internet it's like just didn't fucking know right it's like it looked it sounded so absurd and it's like but you can't completely dismiss it because it sounds so cool you know uh, another <laughs> like, one i remember like, uh, like oh, I was, was uh, did you know Mecha Frieza comes back in Dragon Ball and it's just it's just what? Frieza with like a robot face <laughs> like with the tr- in the Android song like, holy shit Mecha Frieza or whatever like, oh it's just it's, it's whatever sorry Dragon Ball spoiler didn't work for me because I came from China and we already had all the Dragon Ball by the time I came here they're uh, fucking still airing so people just come to my house so you are, you're the you're the one misleading people about Mecha Frieza Instead of just being like, up, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. More features up on RPGsite.net. Uh, here's another one from Josh. You spoke last week at length about one of the story arcs in Fake Grand O, the Avalon Le Fay chapter. And you basically took what you said you were going to do last week episode on the podcast and wrote up your thoughts on it and pushed it out as a. Um, as a formal kind of like opinion piece up on RPGsite.net. And based on at least the uh social kind of engagement that the that the tweet got it seems like a lot of people have resonated with basically what your your opinion on this chapter of fake grand order yeah i wasn't really expecting like a big response to it like i was very surprised that a lot a lot of people like we got a lot of positive reception and feedback from it and i was like very happy like you know a lot of people shared that same sentiment but i just didn't expect you know such a such a big response out of it i thought like you know i was right like uh, for myself you know and like i was like you know people like the like it might not but like i just wasn't expecting like that sort of like uh response to it so i'm really glad that that piece seems to have done well and reached a lot of people uh and on that end but yeah it's, it's just basically uh, Did you know it also made a it made a pretty sizable post on our games really you know yeah i did not know that <laughs> that's that's so, crazy there you go it's it's making the rounds yeah um 
but it it's you know I I I poorly uh, put it into words last week of the podcast. So I was like, I can do a better job with the, with the text this time around because it, uh, writing about it is actually pretty difficult because you have to you have to try to like you have to yeah I had to write it in a way that like made sense to normal people. And that's tough with, with the terminology in this game and like the way that you have to kind of explain stuff and the the setup and everything and whatnot. So it, it was a pretty challenging piece to write up, but I'm glad it got through to you know a lot of people and a lot of people really you know agreed with it. So that's that's really cool to see. I'm just really happy that you know with, with the response to it. I'm glad that that mm-hmm. I'm I'm still kind of I'm still kind of like shocked and like like wow that that kind of really 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 blew up. My favorite one is still the Twitter post. It's like you could have just played the English patch two years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's always the fan translation people. It's like, hey, come on, man. It's like no. Uh, uh, my favorite response was like, "Who the fuck is Josh?" <laughs> Those are my favorite responses. Like, yeah, you're right. It's like you can just like click the, the the link and you can see you know who wrote it. Like, no, <laughs> like you'd rather just type out who the fuck is Josh. <laughs> Uh, that's my favorite. Another feature that went up last week that also kind of got a pretty large uh, kind of like reception, even though I think some of it was a little bit like negative, uh, not in a bad way, um, is uh, Paul Screlly, who has kind of been a he's been writing. He was brought on the RPG site as a contributor uh, like three or four months back and who's been writing uh, like opinion features every other week or so wrote up a feature after playing Final Fantasy 16 specifically about the combat of Final Fantasy 13 and about how Final Fantasy 13's design of its combat system has kind of led the charge or kind of informed most of the Final Fantasy games that have come since Final Fantasy 7 remake Final Fantasy 15 and Final Fantasy 16 uh, called Final Fantasy XIII's combat continues to influence the series Final Fantasy 13 of course more bespokely specific to that game had the paradigm system which is only found in that in that series and so on but talked a little bit more about the stagger gauge and how that's kind of shown up in different formats in the series ever since and you know this has gotten also a bit of a um kind of feedback on on socials as well about no it's not really the same or yes but and i don't know it's just kind of an interesting opinion about how final fantasy 13 a game that's not wasn't well regarded at the time but seems to have been kind of softened on in the years since its release like 13 years ago or whenever that was uh so i at least wanted to give paul's feature kind of a shout out here uh even though i know he doesn't uh hasn't made a presence on the podcast quite yet so that was also one of the opinion features that went up last week that seems has make has made a few uh a few impressions across it, it is pretty interesting Twitter. that like that like a lot of game design has like really been thinking about how to like make the like uh, uh, like the, the the concept of a stagger like visualizing a stagger meter or bar or gauge like intrinsic to like you know the combat system of a game like like that's been that's been getting more and more prevalent, you know, not just in Final Fantasy alone, but you think of things like Sekiro, for example, um, you know, where stagger was a big part of it. You know, Armored mm-hmm. Core now, you know, uh, I've got some sort of stagger mechanic be a part of it. Um, just in general, the idea of having kind of like, depending on the game or where you what, what you grew up with, like having played some MMOs in the time, I kind of refer to them as burn phases, basically a mm-hmm. phase where the defenses are down, where you want to deal as much damage as possible, but you're dealing damage to like a different meter versus the other meters. Uh, but of course, the specifics depend on the game you're playing, whether it's like a stagger meter or it might be like an armor that you deplete that might regenerate. But 
the 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 fact that stagger is kind of what they've gone with over the final fantasy series is what paul is going with here um, yeah, yeah, like you, you, like you also have like like more like outliers like side games for example like Dragalia Lost sort of almost had like a stagger mechanic uh, when that game was still in service. Gra- Grand Blue sort of has a stagger mechanic too, but like I forgot how it works. Chow and and Grand Blue like you fill you fill up when you're going up against a boss. Yeah, like a, you have a bar that fills up. Okay, so basically the- they have uh, a charge diamond. So there's like a diamond in there. It's like okay, they're gonna use their ultimate attack in I don't know. It could be two diamonds. It could be one diamond or even four. Right. And mm-hmm. then uh, there's also an inner gauge. If you're able to break the gauge, that diamond resets and they're in their break state. But usually the game likes to cheat because it'll be like, oh yeah, you you damage pass. It's 50% HP threshold. It just goes back to normal. It, 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 the break gauge is kind of like a lie. You can't really use it to cheat for your most. At a point in Grand Blue, they used to take this, this, their, their, their stagger mechanic more seriously, but it feels like because of years of power creep, they added like some failsafe mechanics so that you can't cheese through certain bosses. Even though um, characters in Grand Blue are now ridiculously strong, you could do like billions of damage in like a <laughs> like, couple turns versus. Yeah, Batman, yeah, yeah it just looks like this guy in numbers now. When I, whenever I see like footage of that game, it's like, yeah, this just looks like this guy in numbers. <laughs> it's like, yeah, look, you know, boss that you thought that were impossible can now be solo with the full auto button now. You know, stuff like that happens in the game. And one one of the p- comparisons that Paul brings up in his article is how in Final Fantasy 16 there are certain icons, certain icon abilities that are more adept at building up the stagger gauge. Like the ones that I used were like Shiva's Diamond Dust and Garuda's uh, Gouge abilities are really good at building up the stagger. And then once you get that through, you switch to a different icon like Bahamut or whatever to actually deal the straight damage. Even because we haven't had a talk to talk a chance to talk about this. I just want I just want to at least ping. I don't know if Chow, have you played Final Fantasy 16 or not? I forget. Yeah, I did. Okay. Chow and Josh, I know Adam, you don't count for this conversation. Between these three icon fights, who did you like? Which fight did you like the most between um Titan, uh Odin, or any of the other fights, I guess? Uh, like, I like I like Titan the most. I, I like the first Titan fight. I don't really like the Lost Titan fight, but I like the first okay. Titan fight. Uh, that's uh, probably Lost Titan's probably the most boring part of the fight, in my opinion. Because what about uh, like the stuck. Bahamut fight? Sorry. Bahamut fight. It's just like a spectacle. I don't yeah. find the fight really engaging, but it's like you're just watching it's, it's, it for the fireworks. It, yeah, it's, it's like it's like when you get to like the final part of it, it's like it's like wow, this like the scale of like where, where this game went is like is insane, but it's like. Once again, it's like a one-time spectacle like thing, but in terms of like build up and like the, what you're actually doing in the fight itself, like mechanics-wise, like I think I think I I just wish the I wish more of that game was like the first Titan fight when it came to like its showdowns. Yeah, I like the more like like was it man versus man combat, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, I feel the like the game is also like not designed for certain mechanics. Like, uh, was it like for example, have you ever what fought? the hunt quest the marlis brothers right there's three <laughs> elite mobs and i feel like the game just does not do a good job on fighting multiple elites it's yeah like, it was never designed that way and so. i like and the, the, there's like uh the, the, you know going back to paul's piece like the ff13 stagger like i feel like ff13 dealt with the stagger mechanic like a bit better than how ff16 does it because like the, the stagger mechanic in ff16 is so boring because you can't really you can't really uh, do anything with the enemy and they're staggered. You're just like firmly planted on the ground. You can't combo them. You can't put them in the air. Yeah, you're, you can't just, really do you're just like lying there and you're just like, 
you're just like putting you're just kind of making the most of them just lying there it's like all right yeah or maybe you save all your abilities just throw them all at once when they're staggered it's like now that, yeah, that, that, that when i finished the final fantasy mode playthrough that's basically what it ended up being because it just was all right they're staggered i have 10 seconds just to throw out all all my strongest abilities in whatever order the order doesn't really matter it matters a little bit but also just a pure numbers thing if i remember right in final fantasy 13 like you can build stagger percentages up to like 300 400 and, it, and yeah. it's not just the fact that it's higher but it feels more rewarding where in final fantasy 16 it goes up to 150 percent. so like oh i guess i'm getting a little bit of extra you know utility waiting until the stagger to use my mega flare or giga flare or whatever versus final fantasy 13 where you really benefit your your damage output during the stagger and final fantasy 16 it doesn't doesn't feel as impactful but anyways i just brought up the question because i saw some people stating uh i believe it was like a reddit forum that they really didn't like the odin fight because it's mostly clive versus the odin's dominant and i actually kind of liked it the fact like titan lost was too much spectacle for me too much like cutscene interactive like cutscene stuff that i, I kind of just wish was over a bit quicker but the odin fight i actually thought like hey this actually engages like the combat system of the game maybe a little bit less spectacle but i was okay with that with the trade-off of actually having a boss fight so i was just thinking of that when you're talking about um uh, the combat yeah. systems of these two games mm-hmm but I'm, we have I'm that not sure about you guys, but I don't know how you did a whole new game plus playthrough. I feel like I'm bored with the battle system by like near the, uh, the olden part by then. You know? As as shallow and stupid as it is, I got through the Final Fantasy mode purely by knowing hey, as soon as I reach the credits, I get the platinum trophy and I can turn this game off. Like <laughs> halfway halfway through, I was like, all right, Just I've gotten my fill. I, I will say yeah, so I got the platinum trophy, so now I have I am now obligated or not obligated to play the game anymore. Um, I did like the Titan Lost fight the first time I played it, just in terms of pure spectacle, but it's a bit of a chore to go through again. Just like oh, I've seen all this. Eh. I feel I, I think it's interesting. Like you know, it's been barely what like a, a month since that game has come out, like a little over mm-hmm. a month. But I, I, but I feel like. Like I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like just the general sentiment and public opinion on it has kind of half been dying down, half been kind of like ah, it's been whatever, you know. I, I, I think it's I a, a all right game. It's just not, it's not perfect. Like everyone, like yeah. likes well, to hype it up to be. Well, it's the same sort of thing. Like one thing that we always talk about here, kind of on the on the back end of things, is when we're reviewing something, we are of course obligated to score it, even if we want whether or not we want to um, going with kind of the lower score in your mind, just because usually once that honeymoon period is, is over, you kind of see the game, whether it's a good game, great game, average game, mediocre game, you see it a little bit more clearly once you have a little bit of distance, once you, once you haven't booted it up in a week or so. And mm-hmm. with final fantasy 16, it's kind of like, yeah, uh, I like Cullen, of course, scored it an eight for the site. So that kind of serves as the site's kind of representative. Of course, we all might individually think differently, some higher, some lower. But like just my like it's one of those games where once you have some distance from it, you kind of get away from all the marketing hype. The fact that that game was on our like most anticipated list three years in a row. uh, So that kind of colors your initial honeymoon impression or whatever. And once that's no longer matters and no longer registers, you're like, okay, how did I actually feel about this game? You can you can say it with a little bit more assurance that you're going to hold to an opinion that actually sticks. And once you're away from the game for a month, two months, a year, like, yeah, that's how I ended up feeling about that one. Yeah. And I, I do kind of agree that it's 
it seems like it's general consensus has softened a bit. But uh, I guess the true the true kind of stakes of that will arise in about four to five months when we have to talk about the game and where it planks, where it ranks or places amongst all the other games that released this year uh, in the November, early December timeframe. So it'll be interesting to see where that all shakes out uh, in a few months. A couple other features that are up on the site. Here's one that was a little bit based on the fact that within the last couple of days, we celebrated the fourth anniversary of Fire Emblem Three Houses, which of course was kind of, as far as I'm, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, the best selling, the best selling game of that series, a game that was like kind of, kind of broke the mold for several other Fire Emblem kind of archetypes, uh, reached a bar that Fire Emblem engaged didn't quite reach, uh, so we got an opinion feature for Fire Emblem Three Houses put up on the site within the last couple of days from Nathan Lee, specifically around the character of Edelgard as a antagonist that basically broke the mold and served as one of the like landmark hallmark antagonists for the series, um, celebrating the fourth anniversary of Three Houses. So that's up on the site as well. I will state it's funny as thinking about a character like Edelgard, not to hopefully we don't get too deep into it here, but like thinking about a character like Edelgard after coming off of Engage, like where the Engage antagonist has like nothing to them. Like, yeah, so. it is one of those things where that's another game and Fire Emblem Engage with a few for the few months of hindsight. It's like, I think even at the time, people kind of knew that it felt like it didn't quite reached that same bar at least in some ways you could argue well specifically the map design of engage was better than three houses like yeah nick i can see that but as a whole package i don't think it just reached that same level for you could argue a lot of reasons here and i don't want to get on too much of a tangent at the time if you had asked me this question maybe like a year or two years ago like what i thought of edelgard i do think at least two years ago me would have thought that she was a bit overrated the one thing that i always thought that edelgard did that i thought was a little bit undercooked was the fact that she kind of threw in her lot with that cult the people who slither in the dark without really a contingency in mind she was just like oh they have the power i need i will ally myself with them hell or high water no matter what and i always thought that that was a little bit shallow but then after playing fire emblem engage i'm like you know what Edelgard's a great character. Yeah, <laughs> like, she, you know, she she's excellent. <laughs> like compared to like all the other protagonists, antagonists of Engage, Edelgard did stand out. Uh, or sorry, of Three Houses, she stood. Did she did stand out? But compared to like her contemporaries in more recent games, she stands out even more. But if you want, if you uh, haven't played Three Houses or, you're, or you have played but haven't read about the game in a while. Nathan did put up a nice feature specifically looking at a character dive of Edelgard um, up on the site. It is The title of the article is Three Houses Edelgard is the antagonist that defined a new generation of Fire Emblem. And then we also know what the, the, that writing team is up to uh, when we get to the news in a bit as well. Mm -hmm. A few other features that are up on the site. A lot of these were 
previews that we had the opportunity, specifically James had the opportunity to look at a few months ago around the time of Anime Expo, but their embargoes were just kind of long-winded and didn't lift until the last couple days. This was um, Summer Games Fest. Anime Expo was early, earlier this month. <laughs> well, I still think of it as a while ago, but yeah, some of these were things I know that James had been sitting on for a while, but wasn't yeah. able to talk about until just a few weeks ago or even within this last week. Um, one of with one of which is uh, he had the chance to look at the upcoming Amazon games published, at least in the West, uh, MMO Blue Protocol. This is the Bandai Namco MMORPG that was announced in around 2019, went dark for a while, reappeared at um, the Game Awards. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah, it reemerged a few years after it had gone dark. Uh, it released in Japan kind of back in June. So if you dig around, like Blue Protocol... I, I haven't done this digging myself, but I have to imagine that it's kind of a known quantity at this point, at least as as of its release state. Of course, um, online games, MMOs specifically, are kind of living things. They kind of change their reputation throughout years, uh, in some cases, even decades at a time. But James is able to go hands-on with Luke Protocol. Uh, it is slated for release in the West next year. And we did get both James having the opportunity to publish his impressions on Blue Protocol during his time with it, as well as Bandai, Namco, and Amazon Games released in the last week a new trailer for for the game, uh, at least for its Western release next year. The trailer is a lot of um, it's story focused, but does have a lot of like combat cinematics. It does the sort of thing where it hides all the UI. It hides all of the like actual beaten potatoes of how the game actually looks and plays. But that seems kind of beside the point because the game's out in Japan. And uh, if you want to figure out how it plays, you can kind of easily do that. But just kind of reminding people that uh, I don't know if this is going to be the game that ends up being Amazon's hit. It seems like they're... I don't know if this is actually the case, but it seems like they're kind of desperate between this and Lost Ark and... The, uh, the Lord of the Rings to the Amazon and New World. Uh, they're hoping that one of these can end up occupying the sort of space that like, wow, or Final Fantasy XIV does. Um, will, Blue will Blue Protocol be that game? I I don't know. I guess I, I would say I doubt it, but I don't know if I have any authority to say that with any like sort of substantiation. So um, we got a new trailer for Blue Protocol. James was able to put up his impressions uh, with the game up on the site with the usual caveat that it is very hard very, very hard to get a preview impression for an MMO just due to the time periods involved. Uh, but that is up on the site for those that are eager to, to dive into this game next year. Uh, James also did, uh, we'll kind of give this one as a glancing pass, have a impression piece up on the site about Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon, which we've talked about in a few different contexts on this podcast. Um, Obviously not a game that I don't believe we intend to cover specifically for RPG sites purview, but a game that clearly a lot of people both on the site, on the staff side, as well as on like the community side, like if you go into our Discord, a lot of talk about Armored Core 6 uh, in that place as well as a upcoming release within the next month that a lot of people are excited for. So James did put up kind of a, hey, this isn't an RPG, but it's a game that's really shaping up to be something special. Uh over on uh, the features of our site underneath the branching path moniker. It has stats. So it does yeah, have stats. Yeah. Armored Core does have stats. That's true. It's an, that it's an RPG. 
there, there are there are like I'm not gonna say it's an RPG, but there there are certain like new systems in it that like you know it does share RPG elements. RPG but, adjacent. Yeah, RPG adjacent, but I wouldn't call it RPG stuff. But you know, it's always fun to talk about, especially. Uh, it's kind of uh, for, for for me like specifically it's kind of like more of like a guiding role of like like a lot of people uh, armor car has always been a niche series uh, uh, you know and, and finally kind of getting it's like it's a breakout hit moment and seeing how that goes like uh, for me what's really valuable is uh like hearing and seeing and talking with people who are like this is this will be their first armored core they come from like a souls background probably um and seeing like you know what do they think of it and you know i spoke with jay-z for he published his piece uh you know several days before it went up like i was talking with him about like his time at the event what he what he saw what what he what what are things that may be interesting like you know to to uh veterans that like they would like to know uh for that for that piece and also just general like what what did he think and it, it it's been um generally positive like he really liked what he saw he saw that a lot of people had a lot of fun with it um and uh, there's just a crazy amount of potential with this uh, upcoming release for this game so i'm really really excited to see you know how what how everyone feels when they when they get into it and get uh hands-on with the full, full game and to see what crazy things people will come up with james did also put up a couple other features on the site uh, one of the more kind of understated ones here is for an upcoming September release. This is Infinity Strash Dragon Quest The Adventures of Die. This is, of course, the action RPG that was announced also a while back. I'm looking at our, it looks like it was announced in mid-2020, so about three years ago. Um, James did get a, let's see, let me double check here. I want to make sure that he got a, sometimes you only get a hands-off uh, preview for these events. He says he got an early look during Anime Expo, so I don't know if this was hands-on or hands-off, but he was able to get an extended preview of the game, in either case, with Dragon Quest Infinity Strash, The Adventures of Die, back during Anime Expo. Um, and then Square Enix did also recently release a bunch of screenshots for this game. This is slated to come out near the end of September. Uh, one thing, I haven't been following this game as closely as I would like. One thing, until I started catching up with James's preview here up on the site, as well as the little bit of news that Square Enix directly provided over the last week, is that I didn't realize that they had announced other playable characters, uh, Mom and Hi Uncle. I knew about Uncle. I knew I knew about Die and Pop, but I didn't know about the other ones. But so up to four playable characters. Square Enix basically talked about the different abilities of of all four characters. Um, and then James, uh, are the character names supposed to be puns of mom, pop, and uncle? Yep, I, I think okay. so. I mean, it's 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 Toriyama, or I guess it's not Toriyama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's Hori who wrote who wrote this. Who wrote uh, Die like the original manga? I don't know. I forgot, I forgot the mangaka's name off the top of my head. It's a, it's a ninety. It's based off of a nineteen ninety three manga, I believe. So right, it's a really long time. But Toriyama so, so did the art. Yeah, so it's not Toriyama doing the writing or Hori doing the writing. Uh, so I don't know who did the writing. I guess I can I, look that up with the power of the internet. Check into a manga. Um. You know, because it's based off of the original story, but the, it, like it's not just like just the characters, but like the, some of the characters go undergo like class changes. Like mom, she, at first she's kind of like uh, sort of like almost a support character, but it has a gun. But then like uh, later on in the story, she uh, class changes into like a martial artist instead, and then like, Kyoko undergoes a, like a, a similar process where he goes to through a class change as well. So it's not just like different characters, but also different fighting styles, also because of the way the 
story works and how it develops. So I, I'm very interested to see if there, you know, there'll be other characters beyond them because there are definitely other characters that that side with die uh, as the story develops. And I would love to see like if those characters are playable as well. Because um, that that's the, so, some of my favorite characters in that series are those side characters, not just the ones in Dai's party. So it looks like the original uh, writer is Riku Sanjo. There you go. So I want to make sure I at least credit the right person, right. even though all the others are involved in some way, of course, uh, with mm -hmm. the current Dragon Quest series. And then the last preview slash feature set that went up on the site this week is tied to probably the biggest announcement of the week. And that is, of course, James is over at Final Fantasy Fan Fest uh, over in Las Vegas this week. It seems like fans of that MMO were expecting, of course, the announcement of the newest expansion, the fifth expansion for Final Fantasy XIV, which was announced, and that is Final Fantasy XIV Dawn Trail. And then from his uh, on-the-ground you know, impressions of that expansion announcement, James did both wrote a kind of the news post just talking about what was announced with Final Fantasy XIV Dawn Trail, as well as a accompanying feature about what his initial impressions of the announcement are. Of course, this game is slated to come out in the summer of 2024. I believe they specified summer, yes. um, but coming out yeah. coming out next year. Uh, so there is still a lot of marketing to be had for Dawn Trail Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, so the only person here that can speak to Final Fantasy XIV with direct experience in the absence of James is, of course, Chow. Hello, Chow. Chow. <laughs> so, so Chow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tee you up like this. The title of James's feature, not his, not just his news announcement of the expansion coming next year, but his accompanying kind of opinion piece is Final Fantasy XIV Dawn Trail feels like housekeeping. Not that that's a bad thing. Do you kind of agree with what James is getting at here? What is James getting at here? Like, what is announced with Final Fantasy XIV Dawn Trail? I know it's kind of like a new story arc for the game. It's it's kind of decoupled from the long-progressing story of the previous expansions. How excited are you for Dawn Trail? Mm, not totally excited. I mean, it looks why is, good. Why is that? Uh, I, I just feel like the game is not... Well... Okay, it's more like a casual experience now, it's, which is what it aims to be, and I'm more of the hardcore raider experience, and and that's kind of like kind of like being ignored over the years. I feel like but, the game has been trying to cater to everybody, and at the same time, it's you know it kind of dumbs down the game a bit. You know, if you get what I'm trying to say, yeah, 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 like the James has talked it. about several like ultimate raids and like and new savages that have been added. Like, are those like infrequent or oh no they're they're there but you know it's like they come out like once every i don't know like five months or so every time when there's like a new savage tier that, that is out and then new ultimate tiers i don't do ultimates yet because asking a whole group of seven other people to make a hundred hour commitment through the span of a couple of months is pretty tough to find someone like that you know and and what happened in your group disbands because of of deaths in these raids, it's gonna be salt-inducing, right? So you're not gonna run in with people that you don't trust, right? Well, let's back up a bit. Dawn Trail, like I, I, I watched like the the teaser trailer for it. I kind of know that it's a new story that takes place on a new continent. It seems to have a very pirate theme, or 
at least like nautical theme to it. It has like some returning characters, but I I'm not in the super in the weeds to kind of know like oh it, what, it what has are all people characters. yeah like what are people latching onto for this announcement other than the fact that it's the expected because people were expecting a new expansion just because um, of the, the, the people already know it has to be there because during like um in Endwalker there's a speech from one of the characters he basically tells you like spoilers of like places that you have not yet visited it's like. Mm, nice. This guy's basically dropping 7.0 in a nutshell to you. It's like, have you explored the lost city of gold? Have you explained there? And you're like, huh? What? It's like, I thought we already explored all the worlds. You know? And, you know, and it's basically that location being come to life. Apparently, it's the loading screen. Um, This location's actually, like, you see it existed since A Realm Reborn existed, apparently. It's, it's one of the loading screens of a location that you can never go to. And now you can get there. So, well, there you go. So if I ask, like, hey, before this was announced this week, were people speculating that this might be, like, where you might end up in the new expansion? Like, was it was it kind of, like, um, well signposted, or was it a bit of a surprise? It's still a bit of a surprise, because you don't know where you're going, uh, because the current story arc is running and fighting a different conflict in a different place. So we don't know what's going to happen after that, right? And so going from here is, it's definitely a surprise. Obviously, it's a lot more scaled down because the Warrior Light already deal with, like, cosmic level threats. And now it's, like, it's scaled down. Now he's fighting some, some random person, like, this lizard monster in the, in the beach somewhere, right? You know, it's like, oh, I, I guess that's what happens after you save the world. You know, I, I feel like this whole entire expansion, it could have been done with like, completely different characters, because it's not about the old story anymore. But obviously, you know, if, if it's about new characters, they know people will not resub, because people have grown grown really fond of the Final Fantasy XIV cast. So, at least that's how I would see it. Yeah, the, the, it's been a pretty interesting, like, seeing what uh, the FF14 players, uh, like, it, like, it seems like the reaction is, like, more divisive, uh, like, among players this time around, because... Like people were so used to like you know the the high stakes like the, all the emotional feelings of Endwalker, and like this is like obviously a step back and a start of a, a new a new journey. So this is like more of a summer vacation theme type of like like the the most obviously predictable thing about this is like you're gonna go through this expansion and at the end of this expansion there's gonna be a story hook into something bigger, obviously. Yeah. Um, for and like and people and. Like I think, I think for some people they kind of want more of a clean break, and like you were saying, stating child's like, why are the scions like with you for this? You know, like oh, what the fuck are they doing there? And of course, you know, some part of it's like fan service as well, and so, so for some people it kind of rubs them the wrong way in the way that they're approaching this um, with Dawn Trail. Um, and obviously, like you know, still it still has like that approach of like, hey, you're fighting once again the new world again. Here, so there's some sort of like colonizing um sort of like aesthetic to it that you know might not go well depending because they kind of retreaded this ground once before with stormblood you know um and so forth so you know and and as james is talking about like like it feels like housekeeping is because like it's not that like they're they're, like the way that they're presented is not really most of this like the story isn't really the focus of how they're like announcing this right like there's not like the story is less of a focus and more of like um system changes in terms of like of course this is like the fan fest that like initially announces like the 
the what's called what's the name of the expansion and like the general overview of the expansion they're not showing like what the classes the new classes are specifically yet but they announced there's gonna be two new jobs they're gonna be both dps focused uh the teaser that yoshi p gave on stage of course is with a shirt he was wearing a tmnt uh shirt uh ninja is already in the class uh, uh class in the game so it can't be ninja but well so... the thing is in this game is like okay a lot of classes like share like similar gear right so let's just say you get a bard, you know, they share gear with Dancer or Dragoon shares gear with the Reaper and all the healers share, you know, same set, right? So, so what, are, what, are the, what are the leading guesses now? There's going to be two new DPS classes well, and based on the shirt, like well, what, are, what, what are people thinking are going to be the new jobs? Well, the reason why, uh, why I'm talking about the gear being shared is that, you know, the Yingjia class in, in Final Fantasy XIV, it's the only person that can wear it. Nobody else can wear Yingjia gear except for Yingjia, right? Okay. So it's like all this inventory space being unused. So I'm sure like the next class have to, having to use Yingjia gear. At least that's what I am assuming, right? Okay. So so uh, but, the, but but are there like have there been like any guesses yet on like what um, the new class some people be? think it would be um, their guess is like they call it Rune Fancer. That's one of the guesses because okay. uh, they see the Warrior Light using like sword and they probably think it's like a magic because everyone because everyone thought pirate at first you know with the with the trailer yeah that's kind of the initial guess but we're like okay it might, it might be one of those but not, maybe just that uh, so what yoshi p said is like like in this expansion both of the new class are dps based that's what people are getting at mm-hmm. so there will be a new melee class and there will be a new, new range uh, class new range, range cast yes. caster because okay. there's only uh right was it there's black mage and there is red mage. Red mage is kind of like a hybrid, so it feels kind of weird. Like I know, like gameplay wise, it doesn't feel that much different, but like you know, just how it plays. Yeah, like, because uh, because the last time uh, the the newest classes before these were like well, one was like using funnels, and that was a healing support. Yeah, that's uh, that's my main Sage, class. Right? Yeah, that's my main class. I mean, what was, what was the other one? Was it Reaper or was that the? Yeah, Reaper? it was Reaper. Okay. Um. The new classes are like I feel they were great, but the problem is like uh, you, the, if you get them, you you'll feel that they're incomplete until you reach max level. It's like they're missing like their entire like the skill kit that makes their combo flow naturally. So that's that's how I would say Reaper is. It's like this class feels gimped unless you get to level like ninety, right? So that's how. So I would that's say. Uh, sorry. So going over like the housekeeping stuff. So. So one of one of the big things that they're doing is that they're doing a graphical overhaul of, of the game. They're like, uh, you know, higher quality assets. They're like, they kind of do, did side by side comparisons over like new character models, new environmental assets. They said this won't all drop at the same time. Like there, there might they're going to out this change. You know, obviously first like with the, with the latest content, and then they'll be kind of working backwards almost on like re-implementing this graphical change like older pieces of content as well it just won't be all at once it'll be like a rolling change so this is also probably like also like all the season of the game as well of course so that, that, that they were talking about that just character models environmentals lighting it's gonna be a, a big big overhaul on that end um they were uh talking about um you know just more more minute stuff with like uh the uh, gear changes like being able to uh uh, implement more dye, like uh, up to two dye per uh, dye colors. I, I think that's year. the most hype news about. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people cheered on that news. Yeah, because I kept an yeah. eye on the live stream. Like a lot of people cheered on that. Because yeah, that's... basically, fashion is the real end games for MMO. Because in my days when I used to play Aeon, 
okay? Mm -hmm. I would spend thousands of dollars to get that piece of item to make my character look that way. Because Hey, Chow, I remember in the early days of this podcast, we used to just kind of go around table about like what everyone was playing instead of assigning a few games to talk about each week. And you were playing Ion Classic for like four or five weeks in a row. So it wasn't that long ago that you were still playing Ion. Okay, but, uh, but you know, I don't. I I still miss my old old gear. You know, I miss the, the fucking maxed out crap that I used to have. Other uh, other changes, they're gonna expand the free trial FF14 free trial up to Stormblood now, so you can go from the beginning of the game up to the end of Stormblood with a free trial. Um, not it's not like it's being rolled out. I think spring sometime next year. That's a hell of a good deal. Even though I don't like Stormblood story. Stormblood is like where the game is. It's kind of like this is where like the gameplay has peaked, and after that, every game is basically a Stormblood three point like one point five Stormblood one point five two. You know, like in gameplay perspective wise, there there wasn't been any major changes since Stormblood came out because I guess they feel like uh, this is formula been perfected. It's like why should we change it? Why fix something that's not broken yet? Until people are bored of it, I guess. Right? Yeah. And this also benefits because they finally announced, you know, at the at the, like near the end of the presentation, uh, Yoshipu brought out Phil Spencer, and they finally are bringing FF14 to Xbox. Um, I think they're holding like a beta like earlier next year, and then I think by the by the launch of Dawn Trail, I think it'll be on Xbox. It's coming to Xbox Series and S, um, and you know it'll couple well with the with the free trial. Uh, obviously, uh, they didn't announce anything about like a Game Pass release yet. I'm sure that I'm sure they're still like kind of planning that out and really want that on the service. So you know, fi finally, you know, the, this has been many, many, many years in the making of wanting to try to get FF14 on Xbox. It only and, took it, it, eleven it, years. It, it made me think about it a lot because they because they recently uh, did like a whole uh, update on uh, the game Xbox game like uh, like live and uh the xbox live uh, service as well but like having different tiers of like you have like this service with online multiplayer and this service without at like a, a certain price um different uh price tiers so it really makes me wonder like that like the timing of that announcement coupled with this announcement a few weeks later it's like i really wonder if they they had to really hold out for that uh, for that before they could announce this because for for in my mind i was like this doesn't make sense to an News at FF14 Fan Fest because every single person in that building is already playing FF14. How many of them are actually going to touch the Xbox version? You so know, I was, actually, I was actually wondering that too. And I actually saw on the Xbox Twitter, I, I refuse to call it X or whatever account that they had. They have the. It's now as the time I speak, their pinned post basically says like, "Welcome to Xbox Final Fantasy 14." And I'll be honest, I was a little bit like, this seems cynical because it's not on Xbox yet. And like you said, the place that they announced this, everyone's already playing it. So who is this announcement for? But then I read like and kind of softened a bit. And this, I guess I'm not totally surprised by now that I sit down and think about it. When I look at this Xbox tweet about them announcing Final Fantasy XIV coming to Xbox, it is there's a lot of positive comments on it a lot of likes a lot of people that just play final fantasy 14 
and are just excited to hopefully witness. Like, oh yeah, a new I mean, way, I'm sure. I mean, of, of, players of, course, of course, of course, of course, the uh, the current community of FF14 is you know always like you know, more than welcome. You know, they, they're welcoming the new players. I'm just thinking about like the wider message. Like, if you're going to announce this, it would in my mind this be like at the naughty three back in like in, uh, in June. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In that context, it would have made made more sense to announce it in late June to an Xbox audience rather than announcing it now to a Final Fantasy fourteen audience. Yeah. I don't know. I, I must be one of those insane people that double dips so that I could play on the console and play on the PC. Okay, but are you? But okay, if you're playing this on PlayStation and and, and PC already, are you gonna be like, oh yeah, time to triple drip drip, drip with the Xbox? Maybe if I have an Xbox. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely the majority of child. <laughs> but um but you know, I mean it's cool. I mean it's cool that they finally did it. Um I'm not saying that in, uh, Yeah, that, more uh, it's I, like I I am happy because now that I could play with more people and yeah, it's, it's also really like that whole group of people saying it's like, "Oh, well, I didn't want to play it because it's not on the Xbox." It's like now you had no excuse. Now you have to play it. So How about how about time? How about time, child? Final Fantasy XP. 14 is a way less commitment than Trails of Cold Steel 4 and and free, okay? That's definitely a comparison, I guess. I'll tell you this. By the time I finish all the way up to Endwalker, I still haven't even gotten a Cold Steel 4 guide done. I will tell you, like, in time-wise. Okay, how about, how about, doing a, how about a walkthrough of uh, FF14? Every, all of FF14. No, that's too hard because I am not <laughs> Ultimate Raider. Because you'll need like a galaxy brain to explain these formulas on how to kill these bosses. Like, oh yeah, person A must be in position B. If he's not in position B, he gets his whole team killed. Speaking of, like uh, speaking of raids, they're like they're finally implementing like a like an in-game UI to like play yeah, out raid, instead raid, of raid having a ghetto one do. Dude, yeah, yeah, instead of instead of like a, like a third party app or like a third party source to like get, get it, they're finally adding like a visual, like an in-game UI to show like visually to your part like raid party like hey this is what the this is how we want to like uh, do our formation during like this certain phase of the boss like you can actually like actually just do that all in game now which is kind of probably a, a, a like a welcome change of one that took way too long to implement i think this is the best change because this is also like when you play with other people online it's like Mm -hmm. okay basically when you follow online this guy had in mind that he's probably going to do the mario kart strat and you in mind you're going to do the runaway strat right and then and then you have this whole conflict like hey it's like why did everyone die it's like oh i thought we were doing the mario kart strat (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah it it is yeah hopefully this will minimize that more and hopefully get more people on like the same page you know on that so that that'll help clear things up a lot they also announced um a, a collaboration with fall guys um, yeah so you're gonna have ff14 costumes coming to fall Ga- guy but it's also the other way around where um the and uh ff14's golden golden saucer just gonna be like a fall guys mode you can do with their ff14 characters as well so that's uh a, a goofy thing but you know everyone having fun exciting stuff yeah i, I think that's i mean I, I don't know if there's any other highlights here that that I I kind of missed. Like uh, this is like kind of working off of memory of like the the keynote that I that I kept an eye on. Uh, yeah, and, you basically covered most of the details. I mean, I mean today they're still having it today, but today is more like yeah. six point five news, right? Which is yeah. the next oncoming big patch that will happen four months from now, I believe. Like, I, I'm not sure the exact release date, but if they're having the second part of the 
the Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker soundtrack in November. I'm sure the release is probably about four months from now, right? I mean, they're not going to spoil the songs while while these things are, you know, while these things are still active, I guess, right? At least that's my guess. I I think the the the, the weirdest part of that keynote was them um uh introducing like the new Square Enix CEO. And he's like how he's like a FF14 player as well. <laughs> like them like cheering that all that on. I'm like, I sure I I, I I like the CEO. He's full of energy. Even in the 16 conference, he's trying to tell 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 the whole audience how much he was a fanboy of Final Fantasy One back when he played Nintendo. He looks very young. Like I look at it, it's like wow, he looks really young. <laughs> Uh, so that that was interesting, but yeah, I mean, obviously, the, having this screen CEO, uh, BFF fourteen player himself, is is like pretty much a good a good sign for this game's future to get ongoing support, and like, there's no threat of like FF fourteen shutting down anytime soon at all, you know. So that that's 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 you know. I'll be honest. I can only remember the new CEO's name because it is Kiryu, like. And I don't remember what the old CEO like. When I think of, I, I, I'm like, how long ago did did Wada step down? Like 2013. Like I haven't paid oh, yeah. like the last. Wada decade. was an idiot. Okay, yeah. Wada was a complete idiot. <laughs> it was like that whole story about him moving his entire building to another branch, all because a fortune teller tells him that you have good fortune. And as soon as he went there, fucking Nobuhiyatsu immediately quit his job because like, oh, that's like, I'm going freelance now. It's like this is way too far. <laughs> like rip, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that's kind of the 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 basic info coming out of like the the, the I mean like the the biggest info coming out of like FF14 Fan Fest uh, at the moment, like in terms of like new announcements and what they got in store for that game. So, you know, it's doing well. They're kind of doing their next expansion, and seeing how that goes. And if there's like any other wrap ups from the uh, Fan Fest, we'll obviously wrap back up with James. I believe next week, if not next week, then the week after. In terms of other news this week, some of this we've already teased. Uh, other of it is just a little bit of a footnote here at the very end. We did get an extended look at another one of the fall releases in October. This is um, Lords of the Fallen, which is previously known as the Lords of the Fallen, previously known as Lords of the Fallen 2. Uh, did get a extended gameplay presentation. So uploaded to their YouTube channel was like an 18-minute showcase of just pure gameplay. Um, my main takeaway, I haven't watched all 18 minutes in entirety. Uh, I, know I could have easily in the last hour. But my main takeaway looking at this is that this is a next-gen only game. So yeah. PS5, Xbox Series, and PC. And it just it just looks it it shows it. It looks really nice. It has like lots of fun uh, particle effects, just really clean looking. Um, the art style is very Souls like. Sorry, but uh, <laughs> just just just. just, just in... Oh, that's this whole podcast is so good with this. <laughs> but just, but just but just in general, like I was watching some of the spell effects of this gameplay, uh, and even though the art direction art style might be a little bit derivative just like it does look really clean really nice really pretty and i'm like oh yeah that makes sense it's you know ps5 exclusive xbox series exclusive you know pc with equivalent hardware exclusive so it, it reminds me of uh ratchet and clank rift apart in terms of like it's uh, interdimensional mechanic because like the main hook of this game is like 
uh when you die uh you don't like it's not like a game over screen like you get transported to like the the realm of the dead from the realm of the living um so you have like one final chance you know to kind of um you know get get that like uh the, the, at, uh, like one final shot like at the boss for example um and like it's like rendering both of these like realms i don't know if it's like at real time or simultaneously but it's it's it kind of reminds you of how rift apart does like its whole interdimensional portals like seamlessly on the fly rendering like entire different worlds because you can also like from the realm of the living you have like this uh lamp that like can show like the realm of the dead because um it, it like the 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 living version of the dead version of the world have has like different enemies different pathways different secrets different treasures different loot and sort of that stuff so it kind of incentivizes you to kind of explore the world like in both versions of uh, of living and the dead and they showed that off in that extended gameplay presentation as well and showing how like the like how different enemies react and like behave in like the living versus the realm of the dead sort of stuff so it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to see like how like the the underlying tech of the game is sort of like the that uh rift apart but in terms of like how you render entire entirely different environments but like almost in like a seamless simultaneous living uh, in tandem sort of fashion not related to the topic at all but something that happened in the last week that i am incredibly amused by is that the rift apart recently ish either came out or is coming out on pc that's yeah, and and digital foundry like reviewed it of course, it's PC port. And I saw them like sharing, I forget if it was Digital Foundry Direct or if it was um, Dark One X, but playing that game on like a PS4 equivalent hard drive and watching them trying to do the riff mechanic and how it just like chugs. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. That, I, just, that. I, I just saw that. And I just, I, I was amused by that. As someone who doesn't really have an interest in, in Ratchet and Clank, it's like, you know, you know, even though it was court, it was coded in like marketing mumbo jumbo. These SSDs are a lot more capable than hard drives of ten years ago, and that was just like complete, you know, unassailable evidence to that fact. So yeah, uh, that was just kind of fun to watch for the the PC. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I think some uh, I forgot if like Starfield's PC release like uh, either recommends or mandates like being installed on SSD, but like. It's, it's like I think that it's really coming uh, to that point where like like more and more PC games are like please install this and play this on an SSD. Yeah. The next major news that we had this week, um, two bits of news from two different sources for the upcoming spin-off title Fate Samurai Remnant. This is another late September release. Now that I look at it, it might literally be... Oh, no. So, Lords of the Fallen is October. Fate Samurai Remnant is late September. So, there is the ongoing Fate Go Fest. And I guess some of this information came out from that. But in addition, this is something I learned just this morning. Um, there is a Fate magazine of source, Type Moon Ace magazine, yes. that published an interview with... Kanoku Nasu, who are, um, I'm not sure if they're the creators of the of just specifically this game or the they're, 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 they're the original author of like Fate Stay Night, Tsukihime, which on the Holy Night, and then they also uh, wrote some chapters of the Fate Grand Order game, like specific chapters, not all of it. And then this was the bit that you kind of teased earlier, is that there are story elements to Fate Samurai Remnant that are from the same writing team as. Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yeah, so at the in, in the Type Moon is like the Type 
not like a frequent magazine release. It only comes out like when there's a lot of like a fate or, or like a lot of type moon projects in production, and then like usually they'll, they'll they'll release like an issue of that. So it's very like maybe once every several years uh, oh, okay. sort type of magazine. I was, I, I was thinking that this is like some sort of like monthly thing where it's like... no, no, no. Oh, this okay. is a very like yeah. The, the, it, it's usually a special occasion when uh, these okay, okay. Uh, issues of that comes out. So there was a, a lengthy interview section, the Fate Samurai Remnant section of that magazine between uh, Nasu and Koshibusawa, who is the CEO of Koei Tecmo. And there's a lot of amusing aspects of that. Um, it's a really incredible interview. It's a really down-to-earth sort of interview um, that um, uh, Kite uh, translated parts of it uh, for the site that he uh, did himself. And there's also like a, a, a translation up on the uh, Grand Order reddit um that uh that came in three parts because does like you know people wanted like the exactly like the whole interview translated there so it's a, it's, i read through all of that is really fascinating um before we get into it like some of like the high level abusing things is like one shibusawa this koei tecmo ceo uh legendary legendary uh, uh person in the game industry over there in japan uh he's been playing fate go for six years uh consistently uh, before even like announcing this project, uh, the, and you know, and, and also Nasu is a big Neo fan. He really likes Neo, uh, and they and both of them have put hundreds of hours into each other's game. Uh, Nasu there. also said that Wolong is harder than Neo, which I don't know how you come to that conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like um, the original Neo, really? <laughs> um, but uh, you know, since so, so she was solid. Has like a like a really really like great respect of like Nasu's work and like uh, and like he's just a big big fan of like Moon in general. Like he wanted his like the best Koei Tecmo staff working on Fate Samurai Remnants. So on the writing side, you know there 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 are some like um, Type Moon writers like uh, he I think he's Higashide and uh, several other writers from Type Moon working on um, Fate Samurai Remnant. But for the Koei Tecmo writing team. Uh, side of it, they're having the same writing team from uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses working on Fate Samurai Remnant, which is a pretty big deal. You know, not not something we previously knew. It's like, oh wow, they're really pulling out all the stops for this because they, they they took a lot of great care on like you know making making the the the, the story and writing like compelling in this game. So they're really pulling out all the stops here. So you know, for some people, it might rub them the wrong way, but for some people, right there, they're really excited as well because you know, the, like Three Houses like has a pretty interesting story, but I think it's it's really, it's really strained by having different multiple routes on it. Right. Yeah. So, we'll see how this shapes up uh, when Fate Samurai Remnant comes out. But I think that was that was one of the, one of the key takeaways from that interview. Other than that, I, I highly recommend checking out Kite's article. And if you want to like read more about like what uh, Nasu and Shibusawa talked about, like go on the Fate Grand Order Reddit and like uh, just just like, type in interview on the search bar, and then you'll find you'll find the. Nasu and Shibusawa um, translation uh, on their interview as well. It's a really, really enlightening um, and fun interview to 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 read because it's just it's just basically two big like big head honchos like being big fans of each other and like talking about like how this project came together and like uh, it's kind of a very down to earth sort of tone that like I really appreciated in, in these types of interviews. It's not it's not really super buttoned up or anything. So it only it only makes me like uh, more excited about the game. Like I'm really, really looking forward, looking forward to like uh, how Samurai Remnant uh, shapes up. This isn't new information, but reading this does just kind of hammer home like how much Three Houses was a Koei Tecmo venture, which was not that's not new news. 
But like the fact that, oh yeah, Fate Samurai Remnant is also being, you know, developed by Koei Tecmo. So of course they have some of that same talent. Because my brain just still thinks of Fire Emblem as like an intelligent systems property. And it's a little bit almost defeating where like, oh, I guess when it's truly intelligent systems, you end up with Fire Emblem Engage. And then it was Koei Tecmo bringing in a lot of the different vibes and feels and, you know, all the stuff we were talking about just a bit ago with the the way that Three Houses was able to break free. Like, oh, these, you know, apparently Koei Tecmo is kind of damn good at doing what they're doing, even if they're licensed an IP from, in this case, Type Moon, in the previous case, Intelligent Systems. So I'm excited. Like, as someone who has only dipped their toes into Fate, I've only watched the original anime. Uh, but I'm just excited to see just the... Um, the reception that this game gets as kind of like a, yeah. a spin-off title that's not really attached to the other existing um I think that was the strength its benefits. Yeah, it's not, it's not too it's not it's not like a big barrier of entry. It's like even if you're just taking it as a standalone thing, I think you'll be totally fine. Yeah, I was gonna actually ask like as some if if someone said, Hey, I have zero experience with fate, could I play this? My impression seems to be kind of yes. Yeah, like, I think so. So the fact that it is kind of divorced from that, I think, is also to this game's benefit as mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, if you're interested in this, you can kind of see some of the same ideas or themes that inspired this in all these other uh, IPs or the 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 uh, unlimited, unlimited Blade Works, the movie trilogy. He, he, even, the even James, who got hands on with it on Anime Expo, you know, he's not like really into fate or anything like that. But he's like, yeah, I really liked what I played. It was a very fun experience. And I'm excited <laughs> to play more. It's like, that's awesome. I'm actually excited to play too. When you said it's not a Musou game, That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like anyone who said who's played it, like he's like they're like, yeah, it's not a Musou. James says it's not a Musou. My friend who was at Anime Expo who played it, who likes Dynasty War, he's like, yeah, it's not a Musou, but I really like what I played. I want to play more. And even Nasu himself in the interview, he's like, oh, but I heard Omega Omega Force was working. I was like, oh, it's gonna be like a fake Musou. And then he was like really pleased. Like he's like, oh no, it's not like a fake Musou at all. Like it's really cool. Like 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 he was expecting like not to say like this is like a he was expecting the, the bog standard Dynasty Wars experience. Like it's like they created something really different and something unique out of this. It's not just what it's not just a fake Musou. It's like it's it's very interesting to see like anyone who's like played this for themselves. It's like oh no, it's not a Musou, <laughs> and that's cool. Uh, and I, I guess like a, another thing, like uh, like uh, just uh, announced at uh, Fate Grand Order Fest as well. They had a, a live stream panel for or event for uh, uh, Fate Samurai Remnant, and like they showed, you know, they kind of went over the, like uh, info that we already knew and like showed some live gameplay. Uh, not too much. It's not basically the same build as Anime Expo uh, from uh, what my friend was telling me. Uh, but they also announced like two new characters coming to Fate Samurai Remnant. One is Kakulin, um, which is uh, people who know. Played Fate Stay Night or like or, or watch Fate Stay Night. Well, no, he's he's the uh, Lancer in that original story, so he'll be in uh, Fate Samurai Remnant, and um and uh, a new character Tamamo Arya uh, will be in there. Tamamo Arya has been mentioned before, like in Fate Extra CCC, which is like a PSP game, and you know the, the one of the protagonists in Fate Extra is Tamamo, and like. There's like different versions of Tamamo that uh, represent her different uh, tails. She's like a a fox, but she has like nine tails, and Tamamos that represent like her different tails. So finally, one of those new one of those Tamamos designs have been revealed, which will show up in this game, uh, Tamamo Arya. And there's like a, there's a whole greater type moon lore behind ta Tamamo shit, but it's not going to be uh, you know super relevant in the game. It's just like for a long time type moon. Fans like, oh shit! They finally like you know revealed 
like the design for Tamabo Arya. We've we've heard her in passing before, but never like the design for so they revealed that. So they uh, it's just you know as we're getting closer and closer to release in late September, they're gonna show off more of this game and looking forward looking forward to it. You know, it's uh, it I looks cool. I like that because that's kind of like one of those things where it's like. You don't have to know how this person had been previously teased, but if you do, you get a, just a little bit more from that announcement. So that's kind yeah. of yeah. So they 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 kind of balance it in like a very smart way, you know. It's not like it's not like something that's like oh, it's crucial to know. It's like no, it's like a kind of like a little wink and nod to fans who are already into it, obviously, because they're gonna be the they're 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 gonna be like the primary ones championing this thing as well. Outside of some release dates, the last bit of news we got was another kind of media dump for the upcoming Japanese release date of East 10 Nordics. So this is a list of a lot of the, we've already kind of talked about a lot of the major gameplay elements of this, uh, of East 10. So we're kind of at the point that we always kind of, I don't know, I kind of we love NPCs. <laughs> yeah, so all the different like town NPCs, the different shop owners, um, so I'll be honest, I haven't dug through here exactly what all these different NPCs do, but we got a model for each of these people, exactly what role they play in the story of East 10 Nordics. Did um, any of them come out in previous East titles, uh, Adam, like the other one you saw? No, none of these guys do as far as I know. Oh, man, that's I, it. There was one that maybe not in this news post, so I guess I'll just go ahead and state it. These So these characters are Momina, Romez, Jewel, Ashley, Erval. Jewel, Joel. Why'd I call it Jewel? Jewel. <laughs> Jewel. But anyways, uh, it, may, it might have not been um, this recent uh, list of NPCs, but maybe the last prior one, they have a returning character from East. Is it two? Yeah. So the, I remember, like, I've I played East two, but for me that was like four hours because it's not a long game. Back in back when I got a PC release in English on Steam in like 2012 or so, and I, I had completely forgotten about this character, but uh, kind of fun just to have again uh, a callback to something like that. Now I am blanking on this. Remind me, East 10 is pretty early in Adol's Adventure. Does it take place right after East 2? I think it's after Celsetta, which is after okay. East 2. So it goes one to Celsetta 10. So one to quote unquote four 10. So, okay. And I kind of like that because the uh, East 9, of course, was the opposite, where it was like the furthest, like oldest adult we had seen. Um, so having a, a bit of a younger adult is kind of fun here. There's, a, there's huge news behind this uh, info drop of East 10, though. What is that? Fishing. Fishing. Oh, yeah. Real Let's RPG. It's important, you know. Fishing. East there, 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 there is fishing in Kurokoseki, too. Yeah, Kuro one, no fishing. Kuro two, big fishing. And and for what it's worth, I've heard Kuro one is better than Kuro two. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just extrapolate from that and just say that fishing is a detriment to any game it's in. I'm just kidding. Nope. Obviously, so there's some details here about fishing in East Ten, and then of course details on all the different NPCs that they've detailed here. And of course, I know that James is intending to import this before the end of September. Of course, we're just we're not exactly sure when Nice America will, will well, assumedly Nice America will be announcing some sort of localization effort for this game. Uh, the only it's thing so it's, look, it's it's still so weird because we're getting all this English PR for East Ten, and it's like coming from Clouded Leopard, right? <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to buy that game. Because for 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 Nisa, 
obviously Hajimari no Kisaki just came out, you know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, um, in English as Trails into Reverie. Of course, we have the upcoming uh Neyuta Boundless Trails also being published, you know, originally developed by Falcom way back when and being published by Nice America here in the West. So past that release, then you assume that the next thing to be announced will be East 10 and or um an official announcement. For think, think, about it, uh, think about it this we're getting we're getting localization of the English news cycle of East 10 from a company that's not even doing the English localization of the game. They but they do the the Chinese local uh, release of it instead. But they put yeah. out, but they localized the English news cycle of it. Nothing about Falcon makes sense. Either. Oh man, dude! It's so absurd. It's the sort of thing, though, that like if podcasts and or games media, just the landscape in general, was like this back in the '90s. Like this is probably like for Falcom. Falcom's kind of like a fossil in a way, and I don't say that with any judgment. Just like I feel like this would would have been more common. 20 years ago to have kind of like you know the the long delay between japanese and english and uh release and the fact that you'd have like different people responsible for localizations in different areas and language being kind of up in the air in terms of what languages were accessible in what regions but it just seems nowadays we're so used to even like even the long time holdouts like atlas now all those games are worldwide releases gust even the last couple of years has moved to pretty regular worldwide releases so like falcom is just kind of like the one leftover vestige of a bygone era where that's no that where that's not the case yeah, so, and, 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 and kind of like the the weird sad part of it is like like the 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 quote unquote way you kind of improve the situation for falcom if you if you could call it like quote unquote improvement is for them to get bought out like uh, by a bigger company that has like that can invest in them and, and like in a way that like just makes like global releases global simultaneous releases possible because they have the resources and manpower and time to do it under a bigger company you know but that also has like other bad implications as well <laughs> down the line too if you, if you, if it's done irresponsibly falcom to be acquired by Microsoft. By Sega. By Sega, and then by Microsoft. <laughs> I mean, you never know. I mean, we'll see. I don't know, man. I, I, I have two minds about, like, Falcom getting acquired. Like, if they ever get acquired, I'd be of two minds of it. Because, like, Falcom's, like, one of the OGs. They've been doing this for almost the greater part of a century. Not quite there. I think it's, what, like, 40 years? But the fact that yeah, it's been that long there. is crazy. The fact that you're just saying simply decades doesn't quite do its service because not just decades, nearly four mm -hmm. decades. <laughs> yeah, almost, almost half a century. Yeah. yeah. And the last couple announcements here are just some final release dates uh, for some upcoming games. Uh, Ocean Horn 2, Knights of the Lost Realm, will be uh, releasing on August 2nd for PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Though it originally released in Apple Arcade back in 2019, so this is just uh, this is not the first game that we've seen kind of be unshackled from Apple Arcade's kind of subscription service and make itself available individually through the in in this case both console services as well as through Steam. Nothing else coming out in early August. Monster Hunter. Now this is the game that surprisingly kind of headed off our. Summer Games Fest discussion back in late June uh, from James's hands-on experience with it will be releasing four mobile devices on September 14th. 
yeah, they, they had a live stream for it. Like, you actually got to see, like, you know, like, direct feed gameplay. I'm like, well, it actually looks pretty fun. I, I'm actually going to give it a shot. And, uh, like, that, that looks... <laughs> I, I think the thing that amused me is that if they have an AR mode, because all these fucking uh, types of games have, like, AR modes, so you can, like, uh, like go, like, display, like, in-game assets into, like, the re- real environment through, like, your camera phone. And, like, so you can just, like, they just have, like, a Rathalos, like, in front of, like, some fucking... There's a Rathalos you know, in the living room or whatever. That's right. Yeah. Do you want a Rathalos in your bedroom? I, I want a fucking... I, I just want, like, basil, like, bombing, you know, my place. There you go. Basil geese. The, I don't, the, the I don't, real I don't want to see uh, Kezu in the restaurant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, 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 don't put the Kezu there. <laughs> Keep the Kezu. I, I, I wouldn't want to see that anywhere. <laughs> like, in a real environment, yeah, live background. Just, just, just skip that monster. Yeah. I, but did, that, that, I did go back to Monster Hunter Sunbreak and play through like title update one stuff a few weeks back. So I'm slowly making my way, way through. Uh, are you doing Monster Hunter now? Are we Monster Hunter nowing? Probably not, just because I don't have access to my phone regularly throughout the day. If I did, yeah. I would consider it, but I don't. So well, when you get home, when you get home, when Monster I get home, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to play other games when I get home. Wow, what the fuck? Are you saying Monster Hunter now is not a real game? Well, how about this? I'll wait for I'll wait for impressions. I'll wait for the review, oh. the RPG site.net review on Monster Hunter. Oh. Now. <laughs> I hope you're not even citing that to me. <laughs> <laughs> to no one, just to, just to see. Like, oh, I'm, okay. I, I trust RPG site.net for oh. all my RPG adjacent video game news. All right, Chow. I, I guess you're ready to watch our review. <laughs> you're oh, getting no. excited right now. And then Good the luck. last the last bit of news that we have here, I think people who have been following this game aren't quite surprised, but still officially announced this week, is that Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes has pushed its release window back to 2024, specifically quarter two of 2024. Um, I guess it was originally announced just to be a unspecified time in this year, 2023, which of course we're in the back half of now accompanying the delay announcement to 2024 for Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes. Um, Rabbit and Bear and publisher of 505 Games did kind of give us a little bit of an Easter egg. I don't know if Easter egg is the right word, but they've shared some of the character art for the trio of protagonists from the initial spinoff game from Aiden Chronicle Rising. So uh, Guru and I don't remember the other two names. I'm CJ and Aisha. Yeah, so we got new character art for them as they will appear in Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes as one of the, uh, as a trio of the 100 Heroes. So that's kind of neat. A little bit of a kind of a fun little, you know, for to accompany a delay announcement, I think that seems kind of appropriate. Like, hey, here's a little fun thing to, to look forward to for those that did play uh, Aiden Chronicle Rising, which was kind of like, kind of an extra bonus in the first place. Like, hey, if those that are waiting for this game that have played Rising... You know, here's here's a little bit of, a, of something to look forward to. So, this game yeah, this yeah, year yeah. is packed enough. So I say let it cook. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's it's no problem you know for them to delay it if they you know the, the delay for as long as you need to make the game like a really good game. You know, they also they also uh, showed like a three minute video at the uh, at their Kickstarter post with the delay, like just showing like you know new gameplay footage, nothing like crazy or anything, just seeing the game in motion and random encounters. Mm-hmm. And all that sort of stuff, like seeing like what the battle UI looks like, you know, things are shaping up, looks neat. But um, yeah, I mean, that that's like I like we we've stated on this on on this on like this podcast before that 
don't ever treat like Kickstarter as like some sort of like advanced pre-order, you know? Like, I mean, they have give warnings to to uh, backers for a yeah. long time, so it's a lot of a lot of projects don't uh, end up with what 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 it looks like, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, like uh, like uh, treat that just treat this like as an investment for a game that like, you would like to, or something that you would like to see realized, but not. Uh, note that there's not a pre-order like don't uh, uh, like for the game or anything. It's just back it because you believe in it and want to see it flourish, and are willing to like you know give it the time that it may need to like see it materialize. You know, one I'd day. Ha- I'd have to sit down and kind of put together the whole list of what is slated to come out in 2024. But without having done that exercise yet. Right now, I could say that Aiden Chronicle probably is near the top of my list for most anticipated games of, of next year. It's easy so. for me. It's going to be Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Uh, that's, 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 that's another yeah. one, yeah. So for yeah. early 2024. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm assuming both those games will make the RPG site list for next year. We're also waiting to get a new update on like the Suikoden 1 and 2 uh, HD remasters as well and seeing how those are coming along. Because I think at this point, those will come out before Aiden Chronicle. So... Like it's gonna be interesting to see like um, how the, how they kind of work alongside with each other. I guess that still says like the Steam page for that still says twenty twenty three. So that's another yeah. one that's like <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I, I wonder if I'll just hear about it again. Like uh, we're just waiting till TGS and then they'll, they'll say something about it TGS again. Mm-hmm. Okay, well tell me this, Josh: Are we gonna see a Sega Frontier two remaster by this year or next mm-hmm. year? I I, th- I think definitely like I, I think next year is pretty likely and not this year, but I I definitely think we're gonna get Saga Frontier two as the, as the next one. I uh, I think I'm pretty confident that, about that unless they decide to do do the curveball of unlimited Saga remake or remaster. Just... Well, why are you so scared of unlimited Saga, man? Uh, terrible experience. Sorry, it's not. I, I, I want it to be a rematch. I don't want it to re- them to remake. I think we're. I think we've advanced enough as a species to finally understand how to play Unlimited Saga. I think we've we've all grown up, and we all have the, the understanding now that like we have to learn how to play this game. Josh, what was the last time? When, sorry to interrupt, but I remember when Saga Frontier Remaster was coming out. You were really excited for that game. Is do you like? two better or worse than one like should i be really excited for the prospect of a saga frontier 2 remaster two is very different it's a very imbalanced game it's it's good in some ways and bad in some ways i, I think it depends on what you like about saga frontier one because saga frontier 2 is a more linear game it's not like you're multiple protagonists up open approach i also think it's a very easy saga game except for the last boss the last boss is ridiculously hard, while the most of the rest of the game is like super easy for some reason. Uh, very imbalanced, and if you did a very poor playthrough, you could you might have to restart the whole game because the I last think, boss. I, 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 assume, I assume they're gonna have quality of life enhancements, so you don't have to go do that. But. Yeah, because there's no place to grind in the last dungeon, and there's no place to heal, and your weapon has limited durability. So. You know, if you if you didn't plan out too well and just got to the last dungeon, you could be totally fucked out of a playthrough. So, about the second game in a nutshell. That reminds me, I still haven't played the Minstrel Strong Remaster. That came out in 2022 December, right? Minstrel Song. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's I think like definitely not this year, but I think maybe next year we can probably see another saga thing. 
they're, they're also still working on a brand new saga game, I think, as well. So. Yeah, that's but, what they yeah. stated. The, uh... Adam, should I play Minstrel Song Remaster? I think it's one of the best games in the series. So, is it going to be your vote for best remake or re-release? Um, there's some weird things with the remake, but it's pretty good. All right, it's on the list, on the continuously growing, never shrinking list. But yeah, uh, so with the announcement that uh, Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes has moved its release window back to 2024, and then the couple of release dates for Oceanhorn 2 uh, on console, PC, and Monster Hunter Now on September 14th for mobile. That covers us for a, a little bit of a limited news slate for this week, outside of, of course, the expansion announcement. And then, of course, all of the uh, article features that have gone up on the site over the last uh, over the last week. So lots of reviews and some impressions from Josh. We have the Paul piece on Final Fantasy XIII, Nathan's piece on Fire Emblem Three Houses. We've got a few embargoes that have listed, lifted for the new upcoming games, uh, Dragon Quest, The Adventures of Dai. Uh, what else did I miss here? Blue Protocol, of course, got its new trailer and the preview that went up for its uh, official English release next year. The reviews for Remnant 2 and Arcadian Atlas. So all of those are found on the site found on the site at rpgsite.net. You can also find RPG Site on all the social media channels. You can find us on Facebook, X, Twitter, YouTube, uh, uh, Instagram. Did I forget any? I think I got them all. On all those, you can find our Discord uh, hitting the link at the top of our homepage or going to discord.gg slash RPG Site. Um, if you like this podcast, think we're doing things well, think there's things you can improve on, go ahead and leave us a comment, leave us a rating on your podcast service of choice or on the comments of the site post. And we will be back next week, almost certainly leading off with our very, very initial impressions of Baldur's Gate 3. Impressions seem to be that it's coming in hot. We likely won't have a review ready quite by then. I don't know for certain, but it'll likely just be those of us who managed to go in on or around launch day, what our very initial thoughts are for Baldur's Gate 3. My guess is that we'll have a couple different podcasts to discuss that in the time that we're allowed before we go into Starfield on all the September releases. But we'll be back next week to talk about all that stuff. So thank you all so much for listening. Until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. We'll talk to you all later. <laughs>